0: Mr. Robot, Season 2, Episode 8, Successor, is over, but the successor to that episode is this podcast, and we're just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. Hello again, everyone. I am Antonio Mazzaro, and I'm joined this week by someone who, well... He needs some introduction, because where's he been? It's Mike. No, I'm sorry. It's Josh Wiggler. Josh,
1: how are you? Ah, I'm back. I have succeeded Mike Bloom, who had previously succeeded me. Oh, the successor's in full effect. Successor is in full effect. Success. Great success from Mike Bloom. Mike, you did a fantastic job on the podcast while I was gone. Greatly appreciated. Antonio, you were just okay.
0: Thanks, Josh. Shout out to the homie Mike Bloom for carrying me through those
1: last two episodes. He did a really fantastic job, but I am really stoked to be back here in Mr. Robot territory as we are embarking on our first mike bloom free episode in a little while and our first elliot alderson free episode ever yeah this is uh, this
0: is crazy josh we're in uncharted territory both for the last two weeks and then for mr robot as a whole i don't know what we're going to do with ourselves maybe we need to revert to a sitcom
1: I think that that might be the move. Oh man, I mean, again, like this happens to me every single time I move away from a post show recap podcast for like a week or two weeks. I always miss the best episodes to talk about. I can't believe I missed the sitcom episode. I missed the prison reveal. These are like that. I mean, we couldn't have, you know, called the sitcom thing coming at all. There's no predicting that. But we'd been talking about the prison thing all season long. So I was really bummed to miss those episodes. But Mr. Robot in a very weird place as it all Always is right now. Very exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, I, it's funny. If we're ever podcasting about a show, Josh, and the show's not going so well. I think we might just have to force you to take a couple of weeks <laughs> off in yeah. hopes of restarting our karma with a show. It didn't I don't think it would have worked with the strange.
1: Strigoi. Strigoi. Yes,
0: but I think that it would have worked with some other shows where we hit a we hit a lull and then you you disappeared. I think we need to I think we need to put this, bake this into our planning in the future.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a good call. But I'm excited to be back here, excited to talk about this week's episode successor. I'd love to talk a little bit about those two episodes that I missed if that's cool with you.
0: That's really cool with me because I've been dying to know You and I have talked plenty since you've been back, but we haven't talked about Mr. Robot. So I really am curious to know exactly what your thinking was. Those were two polarizing episodes, Josh. First of all, the sitcom pastiche, the play within a play, if you will, whatever it is, took about 20 minutes of an episode within a season of Mr. Robot where people were already a little bit antsy, thinking that episodes were lasting too long, things were taking too long to happen. Were you on board with the sitcom theme? Were you all in? Did you have any issues with
1: it? I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was, uh, you know, a great, great piece of, um, you know, building the case that Elliot is able to create worlds to, you know, really have this um, remarkably vivid imagination that he can get lost in. So that really sets up the reveal in the subsequent episode that this whole thing has been, you know, an illusion the whole time. Elliot has not been at his mom's house. He's been in this, you know, prison this whole time, and he's just created this fake world for himself. I think that this, you know, this sitcom scene really strengthened that not that we needed that I feel like you could go all the way back to really the whole run of the show should have shown you that he was capable of doing things like that all along but the big example for me is when he's able to blink Times Square out of existence in the season one right. finale uh, so from that point forward I was you know as you and I both were you know really on board with the idea that Elliot's situation was not as it appeared to be and kudos to you Antonio for calling the shot that Elliot knew it and Elliot was keeping that from us because he did not trust us as friends, that was a really great call on your part, and that ended up bearing out um, so I think that you know just in terms of serving the plot and pushing things forward, I think that the sitcom sequence at least resets Elliot 's ability to really delude us to delude himself, to create these fake worlds where he can kind of retreat and hide away it's not just a cool visual flourish there's actual uh, story utility to him doing that that being said, just on like the superficial is this fun is this weird is this experience is it worth doing? Absolutely. You get some alpha on Mr. Robot and you have like a fun, real excuse to do that, why not pull that trigger? Mr. Robot is a show that really relishes in doing very strange, bizarre, left of center types of story ideas and structural notes, and I think that that's been something that's been consistent across Mr. Robot ever since it debuted, and this was by far and away the weirdest thing the show has ever done so far. Maybe it'll top it in the future? Who knows? But at least up until now, going full on Miller Boyette is a very strange direction for <laughs> Mr. Robot. But I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, maybe if you're not on board with the season, it's going to bother you. But I think for for me, who I've been very on the record of being very on board with the season, I was enthralled. I loved it. I thought it was a great, great choice.
0: Let me ask you, within that, we had a lot of stuff with Gideon. We had a lot of stuff with Tyrell. And then in the week after, the week that you weren't here last week, we had Mr. Robot as Essentially telling Elliot, yeah, we killed Tyrell. Are you on board with that? And does anything from the sitcom moment make you feel differently about either of those deaths and Elliot's responsibility therein?
1: There's I, – I think there's almost no chance that Tyrell is dead. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very sure that Tyrell is still alive. I'm very sure that Tyrell is still out there. I don't think you can trust Mr. Robot's comment on that one lick when he tells Elliot basically, like, we did what we had to do. Remember the gun and the popcorn? I think when you read that scene, when you watch that scene and imagine Mr. Robot just, like, trying to yada yada past this so that he can – or yara yara past it so that he and Elliot can just get on message again and just – Just be simpatico and just move forward together as one unit. I think you can really see that on Christian Slater of him just feeding in to Elliot's worst fears here. Just confirming it because at that moment, Elliot is saying, I just want to know. I just want to know at this point so I can move on. Uh, And Mr. Robot being like, yeah, we killed him. I don't buy that it actually happened. I think that Elliot seeing Tyrell in the trunk of the car and getting hit with a tire iron and everything, that can all still just be him confirming for himself his worst fears him you know imagining his worst fears oh my god what am i truly capable of did i do this thing i think that that's still I I think that it's just his inner suspicions. I think it's his inner paranoia. I think for that to be the end of Tyrell Wellick without any further elaboration that we're just supposed to trust Mr. Robot's word for it in the episode where Elliot violates his handshake agreement with us, where we find out that everything that he has been telling us so far has been at least somewhat of a lie or slicked in paint that we weren't aware was paint, I think that for us to buy that that is it for Tyrell, that just... No way. I, I I would be genuinely floored if this season ends and there isn't some sort of Tyrell reveal and we're just expected to believe that he's actually dead. That would, that would astonish me. That would shock me more than Darlene shocking Susan Jacobs. That would be a really big, mind-blowing moment for me if he is just dead and we're accepting it.
0: So I know this isn't necessarily completely in tune with this last successor episode, but I think building off of that, we have to have a conversation with you about Mr. Robot's motivations, because if your conversation... Confident he's lying, which I am as well. We've seen a lot of different motivations from Mr. Robot over the course of those two episodes that you missed. He creates the sitcom world to protect Elliot, seemingly, from the actual harm, keeping in mind, of course, that this is Elliot as Mr. Robot doing these things. So it's ultimately all on Elliot. So you're right. When Tyrell Wellick is in the trunk, that's Elliot's own guilt manifesting. When Gideon shows up, I think that is Elliot's own guilt manifesting. The question is, though, if Mr. Robot Robot is creating these worlds. If he's lying to Elliot about Tyrell, is he lying simply to create chaos, as we've often talked about on this podcast? Or is he lying because he knows something else about what happened in the three days after the hack that Elliot didn't know that Mr. Robot took over for those three days and something crazy went down? And is that we're going to see by the end of this season?
1: Yeah, I think chaos just for chaos sake. You know, I'm a little bit away from that with Mr. Robot now. With the character of Mr. Robot, I don't think that, you know, he's just the joker who is, you know, chasing cars and if he caught one he wouldn't know what to do with it. Like I don't I don't think that that's what's going on. I know that there has been there have been times where I've really just viewed Mr. Robot as pure anarchy. I think that there is still an extreme anarchic bent to what F society was built on and what F society is after and what F society has been trying to pursue all this time that we have been watching this show. But I think that within Mr. Robot's worldview, it's not pointless. You know, I think that his grand designs ultimately on dethroning E-Corp and you know, upending a new world order, I think that there are you know, personal reasons uh, for doing that, not just to see the world burn. That being said... Yes, I do think that Mr. Robot is in on something. I think Mr. Robot, if he's not directly in on whatever is going on with Tyrell, I think that Mr. Robot is aware of something substantial that Elliot does not know and needs to be kept away from. And I think that a lot of this trust building that Mr. Robot has been doing with Elliot all season long, attempting to reforge their bond, you know, know, re-solidify their alliance together and get them back on the same message. I think a lot of that has been Mr. Robot really needing to get Elliot back in business, but not fully aware of everything that Mr. Robot has going on. So yeah, I think those three days that we still don't know the full extent of, I think that there's some pivotal stuff that has happened there. Probably a lot going on with Joanna Wellick there. I'm sure that whenever we do get to, you know, if we see those three days directly or if we find out what actually happened there, I think Elliot's gonna be in for some big surprises at what he was involved in. And I think that it's not gonna be much of a shock from Mr. Robot, who's very aware of what happened during that missing time.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it does seem like, from this episode especially, that there's a lot going on that we, the audience, aren't aware of. Now, we were lied to directly by Elliot, as you as you kind of reset that we had talked about in the, in the early days of Season 2 podcast here, that Elliot was, in fact, lying to us, and that some of what we've seen with regard to the Elliot storyline is very much handicapped not only by the fact that Elliot was lying to us, but also by the fact that Elliot himself doesn't remember, as you're Saying And that there are those three days that are a complete blank. And that when he meets Joanna Weldick, for example, in episode 10, there's a weird familiarity there that Elliot can't shake. Like, she knows what I'm thinking. Like, she hears me talking to you. I don't like this. She even speaks to him in Danish, as we've talked about at length here. That is something that can't be ignored. That is, that, that, that is a, a loose end that we haven't really followed up on. And I think that those three days are going to come back with a vengeance within the context of this show. But it's been very difficult for us as viewers because what Sam Esmail seems to be doing, and we got a lot of this in this episode – is slowly pulling the curtain back, resetting and, re- and, and revisiting these loose threads that were there earlier, whether it's the shell casing or the banker that Darlene slept with, whether it was the random one night stand that seemingly was random that Angela had, that was not at all random. Uh, these things keep coming back. So, I think that we're going to see a lot of these retreading or recircling into these areas that we've introduced in the first part of the season. And that—that that is a, a huge part. A lot of people were talking about oh, this first part of the season was so slow and it, the episodes were overpacked. It took too long. But I really think that this show is going to start benefiting from all the groundwork that was laid in. And I think successor, this episode... Occurs at a really interesting time in the season for that because we can hit a lot of those things that we've set up already. We are at a gap in the Elliot story in that we know he's in jail, about to be released, but we don't have the next step. So now we're filling in a gap of what was going on with F Society during some of the time that Elliot was in prison and while Elliot was dealing with Ray and i think seeing different perspectives seeing DDP in private moments with her boss seeing all these things i think it really changes the scope of the show and i think it's important that we talk about that for sure
1: yeah i'm sure we're going to hit on all of that stuff as we're you know ripping through this podcast and talking about this week's episode but i do think you know to the point of this season's been slow or you know the Elliot story wasn't connecting to anything and how could we be lied to and expect to be okay with this. you know. That was a lot of the thinking behind a bunch of the think pieces that I saw, especially of last week's episode. I think a lot of people were not thrilled with that reveal, feeling like Mr. Robot was wasting their time. I think a lot of the things that you've highlighted already, um, just in that past comment that you just made, I think that there is a lot going on on this show beyond Elliot. Certainly that is the the premise of the show is that Elliot is not clued into everything. Elliot does not know everything that's going on. And even everything that Elliot sees has to be looked at suspiciously because his worldview is different than ours. You know, he hears Evil Corp when he sees E-Corp. That's been from the very beginning. And I think that there have just been a lot of different elements throughout this season specifically, but connecting all the way back to season one. You mentioned Joanna Well speaking you know, to, to Elliot in a language that he's not supposed to get. Things like that, you have to imagine, are going to connect eventually. And I think things like that are starting to connect maybe even as soon as this episode in Successor. Like you said, the FBI agent who's been dating Angela, who we met in the first episode of this season, had no idea that that was an undercover guy. Uh, so a lot of stuff like that going on. I think that really the takeaway for me is Mr. Robot... This isn't a casual show. This isn't a show that you, you know, just tune in and tune out of and expect to really greatly enjoy yourself and expect the show to really just, you know, feed you its information. You have to study it and you have to stop down and you have to try and remember things that happened earlier. It's a very detail heavy show. This season has really proven that some people are, you know, accusing the show of being slow or, you know, overindulgent or anything like that. I think that this has always been baked into what Mr. Robot is, but the bigger Mr. Robot, gets and the longer it goes on for and I mean that in terms of episode count you know we are almost done with you know season 2 we will be 22 episodes deep into Mr. Robot by the time this thing is done the longer this show stretches on the more and more complicated it's going to get and I do think a bunch of things will start answering um, will start getting answers as it folds in on itself but you won't really feel the weight of those things folding in on themselves if you're not paying attention so I think that that has been I think a big part of the disconnect between people who've been happy with season two of Mr. Robot, like you and I, and many of the people listening to these podcasts, I hope, uh, and the people who've been really unhappy with it. Uh, For my money, I can't imagine being unhappy with season two of Mr. Robot, even, you know, talking about this episode successor that we're about to get into first ever episode without Elliot Alderson, without Mr. Robot appearing even once. And I'm seeing a lot of comments from people saying this is the best episode of season two so far.
0: Yeah, and I've seen those same comments and I it, I
1: don't know that I agree, but I but I, I love that people are, you know, very much responding to an episode where the main character isn't even present.
0: Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And I love that, that that response is happening. I think the response is merited. I think that it's it's quote unquote best episode for those people because it's very tense and there is a lot of moment to moment stuff that is very big and very real. Are is somebody at the door? Is somebody going to capture somebody? Is somebody going to kill somebody what are they going to do to cover up this crime are they going to be found out at any moment what is the fbi doing to tighten these screws so there is a lot of suspense and a lot of tension in this episode
1: i wanted the, to vomit like 16 different times right that's that's crazy episode.
0: yeah it's it's edge of the seat throwing up kind of stuff for you so i totally get it and I'm, and I'm on board with that as well except for all of the vomiting i wasn't feeling so vomitous
1: josh i was feeling very vomitous watching this episode like you said just a really great great work in terms of the sound editing and the music choices, uh, you know, camera cutting away at all these amazing times, you know, when Susan Jacobs runs into a wall and we are suddenly done with that, Um, you know, the whole sequence where you don't know who is waiting for Mobley in his apartment. Is there somebody there? What's the knock on Trenton's door? All of that. And it doesn't even necessarily, I mean, we don't really know what's happened to Mobley or Trenton by the end of this episode. It's very ambiguous right now. Uh, For the next several days, we can interpret that however we wish. Hopefully we will get some conclusive answers on that as soon as next week or the week after that, um, but it feels you know even even without taking a player off the board definitively decisively from the f society gang you always felt like it's very possible that this is the episode where we lose Mobley. this is the episode where we're going to lose trenton at least one of these people we've already lost romero what's stopping mr robot from killing another person and i think really kudos to mr robot for killing one of the f society members off early on in this season and killing romero off for really setting the stakes and you know laying the precedent for the fact that that could happen in an episode like this and We have gotten to know Mobley and Trenton pretty well throughout season two, or at least certainly much better than we knew them in season one. And, i really don't want anything bad to happen to these people i don't want anything bad to happen to our son antonio i know uh but but, you know throughout the episode you're thinking this could be it this could be it and that's i think for me that's where the tension came through uh i didn't want to lose either of these characters and i was really convinced at multiple points that it was going to happen and the fact that it didn't but it took you on that really twisting and turning stomach uh in knots type of roller coaster ride i think that that's really fantastic work on the part of mr robot
0: yeah i agree it was a really well conceived episode and Mr. Robot in its second season, if it's done anything, it's made very bold, brave choices and just gone with it. Whether that was to overload the episodes at the front end of the season, whether it was to take 19 minutes of an episode and shoot it as a sitcom, whether it was to go with the prison reveal even after the show had said they don't want people to treat the show as what's the next big twist, Uh, even all those things were bold choices. And this was another bold one, obviously, taking Elliot completely out of the equation and I think it introduces something on this show, which is not needed, which is a little timeline confusion. So I think it's important that we sort through this in this podcast. On the other hand, I think it's great and, and, and awesome that this show is so brave and bold, That what we've gotten a lot of in season two, and I think what we're going to look back on as a motif, in fact, in season two with a lot of the cold opens, is the flashback motif. Right. Where we're seeing the development of F Society on a gradual scale. We're seeing people being recruited for the first time. We're seeing – late at some point near Christmas, for example, we're seeing these things – in the context of holidays, in a madman like way that makes very clear exactly what time and date we're at, when Darlene, for example, comes into Elliot's apartment and they watch the Discreet Massacre of the Bourgeoisie, it's said to be Halloween. Here in the first scene of this episode with Mobley and Trenton at the coffee shop, at the other Rons, if you will, and I yeah, will. Yeah, Ron 2. Ron 2. At Ron 2, we have, uh, we have a Happy Thanksgiving banner. And then when Romero and Mobley were on the pier and Romero had yet to meet Elliot, it, but Mobley apparently had it was Christmas so we're starting to be able to fill in this loose timeline of how things evolved leading up to the 5-9 hack in the months before whether it was the formation of F Society whether it was how the plan was executed I think the second season is very sneakily doing that this cold open I thought was a great way of doing that and I think probably the most awesome kind of chilling moment of the cold open besides Trenton just getting in Mobley's head almost immediately was the fact that Darlene is reading those words from Elliot, which are the first words that we hear Elliot say to us after the Hello Friend bit of the pilot. This is the first thing that Elliot says in the pilot about the secret conspiracy, the 1% of the 1% ruling the world. That has become the meta story of this show. So to see it cycled back on at the beginning it gave me chills, man. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, it's really good. I think the thing that chilled me the most is like, oh my God, we're at Ron's Coffee Shop. Why are we here? What is important about being back at Ron's? But that's one of the things that's amazing about Mr. Robot at this point is it's not because there's going to be some sort of big Ron's Coffee plot twist, but we've established enough iconic locations at this point that it's like, oh, we're back at Ron's, the place where it all started. And I think also thematically, given uh, what you just said, that these words echo exactly what Elliot says in the very beginning of the show, and now they are once again being reiterated In the first place that we saw in Mr. Robot. I think that's really cool connective tissue. I think that that's a really great way of kind of hooking everything back together. I think that that's just really, really lovely storytelling.
0: Well, and it's fascinating because this show is very easy to lose track of as you're saying. There are a lot of things in play. The show is doing a great job for the people who are paying attention to the details of rewarding on those details and rewarding on those things. But for me, somebody who podcasts about Mr. Robot, Josh, and pays a ton of attention and hits those details it even though I've rewatched season one of Mr. Robot I haven't rewatched it since season two started so since the story has pivoted more to the White Rose versus Philip Pro, Philip Price what was the real reason behind the hack what's the goal of these people what's their greater plan since the story has pivoted to a lot more of that it never occurred to me that those first words that Elliot says may not actually be paranoia that they may be related to something that he may be parroting something someone said to him if you're in on the, the side that Elliot was motivated by the Dark Army to begin with. He may be parroting something that he has created as a larger part of the story that he doesn't even remember. Yeah, if not
1: just paranoid guesswork that there's got to be a top 1% of the top 1%, but actual information that he might have been given uh, that he may have found for himself already at this point.
0: Right. And the way it plays in the pilot, he, he goes right to the subway and he's like, and now they're following me. It's I should have gone to the party last night. I didn't go instead what I did. And then we're at the original Ron's coffee shop in the pilot when Elliot's on the train and he, you just think he's a paranoid person because of what what he did last night. You found out what he did instead of going to Angela's birthday party in that moment was going and take down Rohit at the, at the original Ron's coffee at OG Ron's. But this is, so it comes off as paranoia. And that first episode obviously is a ton about Elliot's paranoia about seeing people following him. But it's possible that those words were actually a lot more prescient than paranoia and that they actually may have been related, as we're saying, to something someone told him or that he already knew. And so it reads a lot differently, not only when we're hearing it the second time, but reminding us that this is where the show started. I think it's, I think it's phenomenal because I think this is a show where the more we, we keep pulling the lens back, the more we keep pulling the curtain back, I think the show has done a really fantastic job of building on that first season. So that the context of the first season may read entirely differently once we get the full story. It may be that Elliot was manipulated. It may be that Elliot knew a lot more about what he was doing than he let on because we have an unreliable character at the main center of everything that we're viewing. I think that it's possible that everything that we saw in season one, not that it didn't happen. We established with the prison motif that everything that happened happened, but that it may have happened without context. We don't know exactly what motivated Elliot. Uh, was it just his parents or was he taken advantage of? And was that something somebody else used to get at him? And I think until we pull the curtain all the way back, we won't know. But I think season one may read a lot differently once we do
1: no and I think that that was always one of the most exciting prospects about going into season two when you and I were on Robot Road and we were re-watching the episodes from season one and seeing you know do Elliot and Tyrell already know each other how much does Elliot already know about F Society all of these things and that was something we were very pumped about going into season two how much would the curtain be pulled back we're not out of the woods on season two yet there's still a few more hours of this show left before the show closes out for the year Uh, so there's still plenty of information that we can still learn but all Already, like you said, you know the timeline is starting to come together. Thanksgiving, you know, Halloween to Thanksgiving to Christmas, all of that is coming together, and that's really spectacular. And it makes me wonder, you know, what is chronologically robot going to look like? You know how they used (laughs) to. There's the great, very famous, uh, at least internet famous re-edit of Lost, where they took all of the flashbacks, all of that material, the oldest points in the Lost timeline that were depicted on screen, and stitched it all together in chronological order. I don't know if that will ever work with Mr. Robot when the full tapestry uh, manifests itself but I think that that could be a fun at least YouTube video of seeing the formation of F Society and how that all went chronologically I think that we will get enough gaps filled in that we, we will be able to you know at some point we will be able and probably pretty soon we will be able to take take a few steps back and have a much better look at how this all came together uh, and the flashbacks throughout season 2 have been such a treat so far in that regard and I'm sure we're not done with them
0: Yeah, it's just really great on an episode like Successor, which is very Darlene-centric, that a show like Mr. Robot or Mr. Robot in general, Sam Esmail, finds a way to not only serve that master, to not only serve the master of let's continue to build out the chronologically robot, let's continue to build that story, but to have Darlene be the person reading Elliot's words that we've already had uh, Elliot speak to us directly in the context of this series, I think it sets up a really fascinating take on where Darlene is in the context of this episode in the proper timeline, not in a flashback, but in terms of her accepting the Reigns as Elliot's successor. So I think that having her read that scene serves so many different masters, I just think it's really brilliant. I think that this show is doing a better job than most shows that I've seen, I think, really, in terms of building a story that is immersive and that makes. That the the, the takes what was already done and, and really builds on it, reimagines it, reshapes it, recontextualizes it in such a way that it, it, it seems new and there's, it's worth watching again. There, there are a lot of shows that benefit from a rewatch. There's no doubt about that. But this is a show that I think benefits from a rewatch of a rewatch, and I think that that's starting to become something really crazy. There was a great comment on Reddit a while back. I think this was after like maybe the fourth or fifth episode. And it's called the Darlene Riddle. This is from user Blinky2310. And in that comment, the user really breaks down about – it It plays into this whole master-slave thing and exploits that we've been You know, i got
1: to say, just to interrupt you really quickly, uh, that I think that you and Mike did such a good job on these podcasts over the past two weeks. But if I had one complaint, if there's one thing that I was really, really disappointed that you guys missed out on – Not enough. Is that you, well, you kept saying master-slave, and not once did you guys slip into a Mr. Garrison. Oh, master-slave. <laughs> He's not, uh, I mean, I just
0: don't know if that's appropriate these days.
1: No, I was just very, I was just very disappointed by that. Well, now we've done it, so we're now there. We've got Now we've got our one.
0: Do we have one for Blinky 2310? Is there <laughs> no. a Blinky reference
1: we can pull no. in here? No, that's enough. That's all we need.
0: So, like Master Slave, and like the exploits, and like Mr. Garrison, uh, yeah, he doesn't trust anything. Yeah, we're, we won't go into Mr. Garrison, but... <laughs> (laughs) Uh, Darlene is a character that could be read differently, and this is – the Darlene riddle is that user suggesting and providing evidence that Darlene manipulated Elliot, that Darlene was pushing the buttons all along to get Elliot into a place where Mr. Robot came out, and that Darlene is aware of this Mr. Robot, and that plays into the whole, hey, this – did you forget again, that Elliot has forgotten Darlene in the past, and that he's forgetting again, that maybe Darlene is in part responsible for Elliot – turning into Mr. Robot or pushing forward with the very dangerous anti-society, F-society actions. And I think that's a really great comment worth, worth, worth seeking out, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. And it's fascinating in the context now – Of this episode where we do see a very different Darlene, not a different Darlene in terms of the actions that she takes. I think that those are in keeping with her character, but we're starting to see a Darlene at the end of her rope and frayed a little bit and what that looks like. And she's killing people, Josh, maybe more than one person, and maybe she's doing it knowing she's doing it or not doing it. Uh, You talk with Carly Chalkin about this, I think so. I just think that this is – I think that as we continue to pull back and as we continue to do all these things – it's worth reevaluating past things that we've seen now that we have new information about these characters. And this is a great information for or great episode for information about Darlene.
1: What do you think of the fact that Mr. Robot was, you know, before we really start diving into the episode, we've already talked a bit about the cold open. Uh, we didn't weigh in on the Apple versus Android debate. I don't know if the world needs our hot takes on that.
0: No, I'm all Apple all the way. Though. I'm
1: Apple all the way as well. No offense to any of you Androids out there. Uh, offense. Um, offense taken Uh, but before we move you know into the episode proper and granted we are already a half hour into this thing so maybe let's start doing that in a second but that being said this is the first episode of Mr. Robot that has zero Elliot in it other than you know evoking Elliot's words and obviously everything that's going on in F Society has roots in Elliot Alderson but he himself Rami Malek does not appear Christian Slater as Mr. Robot or even as you no, elliot's father he does not appear either this is all on darlene this is all on f society there's some angela in here as well there's some great ddp but no elliot how do you feel about mr robot shifting away from elliot is this a good move in your opinion yes i do think it
0: is a good move and in part because I do think it 's important that we start to ask ourselves questions about elliot 's role in the story, not that he doesn 't need to be there because he does he 's the most compelling character. Remy Malek is a fantastic, fantastic actor paired with this role it's just it is the thing about this show more than anything I think that really pops when you watch it is as Elliot as as mr robot slash Elliot as Elliot slash Remy Malik as all of it it 's really awesome, so I think that you can't take him out of the story but I do think, again, and it's not by means of not talking about this episode. It's, it's about this episode. It's about the next scene where we go in and we see the scene from last episode that we'd already seen. The and this is happening tomorrow scene. We're looping back on ourselves. We're going back to places that we've already covered. And I think it's important to do that because I do think the context changes. And I think the context of Elliot is important when we see an episode without him. I think it's important for us to ask ourselves... What role does Elliot really play in this story? Yes, he's the leader of F Society, but was he manipulated? Was he put into a position by something else? He is clearly someone who can be exploited. We've talked about this on almost every episode of this podcast about how – every little bit of information that we get that's new could influence how we look at this. When we talk about if Mr. Robot is chaos or what his goals are, I think it's in that context. So I think this episode and this next scene that loops back and goes where we were before again is providing that context and I think taking Elliot out of it is important to say who are, who are these people that are in the story that aren't Elliot and what are they capable of and what does that mean about what happened with Elliot? Was he always in charge? Was he Push into a place. That's why I brought up that post, the the Darlene riddle, because the suggestion there is that Darlene pushed the buttons, but somebody maybe pushed the buttons. And I think once we take Elliot out of the story and we see how these people are acting on their own, uh, I think it, it tells a great story. It tells that story about, you know, what Elliot's role is in the context. The other thing it does is it shows what a rudderless ship F society is becoming. And you can't look at that without the context of what Mr. Robot said to Elliot about needing to be a leader and being a leader and all of that. I do think it's important that you put F Society in a really bad place before Elliot comes back into the story so you can see whether he's going to be a good leader or a bad leader when he emerges from prison. But I think that that's all – I think that's all really stuff that really improves the show. I don't think it detracts from the experience at all. I mean I'm just one person. Maybe other people need to have Elliot on the show – every single week, and I don't think we can do too many episodes without him. I don't think we should do an episode without him next week. I don't think we should do multiple a season, but I think this is a really good place to do it, and I think it does serve to recontextualize everything.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting, too, right, in terms of the structure of where this is falling in the structure of the season, this episode. Uh, it's not an exact one-for-one, one because there are more hours in Season 2 of Mr. Robot than there were in Season 1 of Mr. Robot, but this is kind of falling at a similar time, where in Season 1 of Mr. Robot, Elliot breaks Fernando Vera out of prison. You know, it's a very prison heavy episode. Yes. Uh, and then the subsequent episode, I believe that's episode seven, Elliot is in it. He's actually in the episode, uh, but he's in it less than he's ever been in any episode up to that point, and probably outside of this week's episode where he does not appear at all. It is his, you know, other, other than that, it's the most absent episode for Elliot. This one where he's completely absent, coming after an episode that also heavily involves a prison with a big reveal in prison. So I think just the timing of it that, you know, sort of this, let's set the stakes for the final stretch of the season. Let's get Elliot either completely off stage or, you know, give him at least a few bathroom breaks if he's going to have to come back on stage in this episode. That worked out really well last season. That episode where he's mostly absent is the same episode where Tyrell kills Sharon Knowles on the rooftop. It's where Mr. Robot appears and sticks the gun in Romero's face and starts putting us in a place where the final three episodes episodes of that season are going to be intensely climactic, that everything that the season had been building towards starts popping with the very next episode with the reveal that Darlene is Elliot's sister and that Mr. Robot is Elliot's father. And then the following episode, Mr. Robot isn't Elliot's father. He's actually Elliot seeing Elliot's father. He's a projection. And then the, you know, the final episode of the season is obviously the 5-9 hack has happened. So very huge, huge events happen after the episode where Elliot is mostly gone in season one now here we are once again we have four hours left after this week's episode after successor there's only four hours of Mr. Robot left in season two I feel like we are now on that same edge again I would not be shocked if next week is the week where a lot of fit is hitting the Shan finally and not that that hasn't happened already throughout the season but if it's just you know kind of echoing back to season one structure at all I think that we could really see ourselves really falling deep into the mud as soon as next week
0: yeah and and there are ways that the structure deviated a little bit in terms of the fact that you're right the timing is slightly different so you could read the prison reveal as the same in episode 7 as the same as the prison reveal or not the prison reveal but the Mr. Robot reveal the mind altering reality reveal that happens at the end of episode 8 in season 1 so there are ways to read these things differently but also very similarly you're right we are at similar arc points for the season we're getting to the point where we're approaching a climax and we have a lot of rising action that we're building uh, to this big climactic stuff that's going to go down after Elliot gets out of prison, it sure seems like, and, and we are headed there. So I, I do think you're right. I think arc-wise, the seasons are very similar, and I think this one just happens to be a little bit longer, and I think we're going to see ultimately how that plays out, whether we're going to see an episode 12 that is the beginning of, of season three in a way that the episode 10 of season uh, one was. I don't know exactly how we'll see that play out. But I do think it's fascinating that both in the, in the first scene with Elliot's words, in the second scene with the, and this is happening tomorrow, we are looping back on previously on Mr. Robot material, whether it's a direct call out or not, whether it's a scene that we're using a lot of and just extending beyond a couple seconds, because... We do have the end. This is happening tomorrow, which we saw in last episode. Mike Bloom and I speculated what was that about? Was that about the 7-7 thing that we saw with the teabagging of Congress? We talked about how that wouldn't really be a surprise. It turns out that this scene was about something else and that showing it last week was to set up the timelines. Now we're seeing it in this episode. The end. This is happening tomorrow is a big conference call with the FBI about Operation Bernstein. The F Society group jumps in on the call, records it. Then uses that call to create a new Mister Robot or a new a new F Society video with the mask and with Darlene fully in the role of
1: the Monopoly not the first guy. time we've seen and Darlene in in that mode. I don't think. um, No, I don't think so either. But it's
0: it feels different. It does. I mean,
1: well, I mean, we we saw it in the White Rose episode of season one, you know, when Elliot is making his move to hack into Gideon's account so that he can remove the honeypot and everything like that. We see Darlene giving her big, you know, she's got the Monopoly Man mask on, the bourgeoisie mask. She's doing her careful massacre act back then, but we're not with Darlene. We're just seeing the video. Seeing her here physically filming it, taking the mask off, getting frustrated when the video isn't working really humanizes that monopoly man for the first time really ever i think um and you know obviously there was the scene earlier this season where elliot becomes mr robot for the very first time right before our eyes but that's really more of a man becoming a monster i think that there's something very very human about darlene behind the mask in this scene
0: yeah, there is. And it's, it's it's a humanity that isn't there with her first scene for the reasons that you're saying, but also because that one seemed to be at Elliot's instruction. That was Elliot saying, I need you to do this thing to distract people so that I can do this other thing. This was seemingly Darlene acting on her own, doing what she thought was in the best interest of F society and within the best interest of what was going down. This was in response to them discovering there was a huge surveillance program that was needed to oversee them. that was put in play to to investigate somebody whether it was them or somebody else i think still up for debate we'll talk about that but there was a huge surveillance program no doubt no question about it and this video seemingly might put an end to that and It's not just the kind of action that has optics-related things, like burning the $5.9 million, which was another seemingly Darlene-based plan that was about PR. That was about optics. Same thing goes with the teabagging of Congress. That was about PR. That was about optics. The castration of the bull itself was about that. This is a a chess move. This is we're going to put this out there in hopes that it will screw up the investigations, turn people against you. Uh, It's optics, but it's also strategic and not just optic strategy. It's it's an actual move against the FBI. And so it's her doing it. It's not Elliot telling her what to do. So it does play differently in that regard as well. It's not just
1: like a public confidence thing. Like this is actually, this information could be like, uh, you guys, are you able to do that? No, you're not. All right, let's take some legal action towards that. Uh, There's some actual physical, you know, not physical, but there's some actual structural damage that's sustained in a move like this. Yeah,
0: and it has the purpose and effect of causing that damage. It isn't just like let's make them look bad. It's let's make them look bad so that they don't continue to investigate right. what's going on. Let's really expose them. And that that seems to be their only play. I get why she did it, but that's her call and fully her call in the moment. What do you make, Josh, of the fact that there was a tape that screwed up? Is this Chekhov's tape? Are we going to see this tape come back into play again? I only ask that because as we see the video through the camera, we do see Darlene taking off the mask while being
1: recorded. Absolutely. No, I think that that's very much a possibility. I I don't know if that specifically is what will come back and bite Darlene in the butt. I think that you and I, from talking offline and a little bit from talking through things here, I think you and I are in agreement that the axe is coming for Darlene. If not, you know, in terms of actually taking her off the board and killing her, I would stop short of that. I think that, you know, Darlene is going to be identified as, if not the founder of F Society, someone very close to the top. And I think that there's a lot out there to come back back to her i think that there's a lot of chickens that can come home to roost that are already available taking aside the tape you don't even need the tape for darlene to really get busted here but that would be damning evidence for sure that would be a very very big thing so if they can get there if somebody can get their hands on the tape of course that's going to come out but i think that there's enough on the table already that would really really get darlene in trouble i don't know if we need the tape necessarily but you're right she is caught on camera taking the mask off if that tape falls into somebody's hands clearly she's toast yeah
0: i don't I, there's a reason that it's there uh that's for sure and i whether it's to just build our own paranoia about whether she'll be caught like you're saying because there's a yeah, million think- reasons why
1: I think it establishes that. I think it also establishes Darlene's frustration and, you know, the heaviness of the crown and her being, you know, really exhausted and stretched to the limit. I think that there's character building stuff that is executed with her taking the mask off and us seeing it through the frame of the camera where she's supposed to be all powerful and all confident and militant and really ready to take on the man in this moment. And then to see her being so weary, I think that that builds her character up in a way where this doesn't have to be an artifact that comes back but it absolutely can serve that purpose too.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people have speculated, well, they got rid of the body, they said they're going to wipe down the site, surely they got rid of that tape. And while I would normally say that was true, they had theoretically wiped the arcade down as well and there was a shell casing that was found. And so, I'm not it's a pretty sure Pretty
1: big apartment. I'm sure that some like stray pizza crust is going to be discovered with like Mobley's saliva on it you or something. Like that, you just want the key evidence
0: in the case to be pizza related. If it
1: could be pizza. It could be a fingerprint on one of the top books on the top shelves of that really cool bookshelf. You know, there's so much apartment in Susan Jacobs's apartment that for them to have completely just like wiped it all down seems improbable. To well, me, especially if it was just Arlene and Cisco.
0: And they set a, a back end on her on her out of office of July 27th. So at some point, someone's going to start asking some questions, and they are going to turn up to her house, and her house is going to be ram. You know, just ransacked and who knows what investigation will turn up anything there and whether they'll find the information they're looking for or not, whether it'll be a pizza crust with saliva, whether it'll be a videotape with Darlene's face on it uh, in the, in the mask or whether it'll be something else. I think people think that they can wipe these things down, but they're freaking out and they're in a hurry and they have a body to burn, Josh. So they may not have gotten everything out of that house. That's one thing I would keep in mind. The other thing I would say about these first few scenes is so after Dar. Darlene records the video with Trenton, and Darlene takes the mask off. We see the video play out. We see Trenton uploading it. We hear about how there are 16 people or maybe 17 that are being surveilled as part of the code name case. One
1: deceased. One is deceased. Probably R.I.P. Leslie.
0: So you're reading that as Romero, not as Gideon?
1: I think that that is I, – I think that it's reading as Romero to me, um, but I think that it could read as Gideon as well, and I would considered that possibility earlier. To me, just with DDP on the case and having investigated that and having seen the authorities there, uh, it feels to me like Romero would be the one on the radar unless that's really just to build our paranoia and to build the F Society paranoia as Mobley is going to find out later on or at least as we're going to see from the perspective of DDP. GDP talking with her superior, Mobley is indeed on the FBI's radar, but probably not as deeply as he thinks that he's on the radar. Um, so I think it could, it could cut both ways.
0: Right. And he seems to be on the radar for a completely different reason. So I'm Right. Not, just for
1: being the party man.
0: Yeah. I'm not 100% sure that the 17 in question in that case are actually people that we are associating with F society. Maybe Mobley was one of those 17. Maybe he wasn't. That seems to be the big debate that Mobley's having after Trenton uploads the video. He's listening to that conference call over and over again in his headphones. He's very paranoid. He thinks that one of them is them. He takes the headphones off. He wants to just go into the wind and disappear. Cisco... Is not for that. He doesn't want to let anyone leaves. Uh, leave, and I think immediately we're wondering, like, okay, Cisco, is this because you're the voice of reason, or is it because you're the voice of the Dark Army? And that's exactly what Mobley puts right back in his face. Josh, I'm so proud of our son.
1: I know. He really is. And I mean, listen, if he had seen him just an episode earlier, Cisco talking tough is really just talk, all right? This guy, his bark is a lot worse than his butt. And so are his fingernails, yeah. it's so yeah. No, his fingernails are sharp. You don't want to, like, uh, shake hands with yeah, him.
0: Yeah, needle sharp. Yeah. Needle uh, sharp. So, yeah, th- that is all very much what's happening with Cisco and Mobley. And they're at odds. Did you think, I mean, is his goal in that moment saying stay? Is he really trying to preserve them from being killed by the Dark Army? Do you think he has a larger plan in play with the Dark? Clearly by the end of the episode, we know he does vis-a-vis Darlene. But is there some reason for the Dark Army to want to control all of what F Society is doing?
1: I think, you know, Cisco is complicated right now, or, or maybe, you know, maybe it's that Cisco seems a lot more complicated than he actually is. I think that might be what I'm trying to say here, and I'll try and reason it out as quickly as I can, is I think, you know, we saw Cisco, you know, he's talking to his Dark Army colleague in an, I don't remember if it was last episode or two episodes ago, I think it was two episodes ago, uh, when he's trying to protect them, and he's trying to get some protections in place for F Society, or at least for Darlene, and then he's tortured for it, where it's like, you're a foot Soldier, don't speak out of school. Um, we're going to see by the end of the episode that yeah, he's still talking to the Dark Army. Yes, he's you know reporting that he's got Darlene, and in this moment, he is saying to Moby like, "Don't go out there. Dark Army is just going to erase you. Like they they will take no chances." I think that on one level, of course, he's doing his job, but I think that we've also gotten enough evidence on on the show that cisco at least to some degree cares about not wanting these people to get hurt uh i think that it could read as a threat when cisco is saying to Mobley, like don't leave you'll get killed but i think it also is a warning like it's a practical warning of like Dude, don't do it. Um, I think that Cisco is, you know, he's hit with a baseball bat at the end of this thing, and he's, you know, he's probably going to be, you know, who who knows what's going to go on with him. But I don't think that he himself is so nefarious, at least when it comes to him versus F Society. I think that there is a place in his heart, or at least in his interests, for these people. He doesn't want to see them get hurt.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I think that that is a really tough place for Cisco to be in. It is odd that his motivations aren't entirely clear in in every scene, but I do think that there is a part of Cisco that isn't going to be just quieted down with a needle under the fingernail that does want to take care of these people. It's really fascinating, of course, because he did some harm to Angela, and we find Angela as similarly motivationally conflicted, probably the most motivationally conflicted character on the show, as far as the way she reads to the audience. What about her at the karaoke scene, Josh, meeting (laughs) up with Steve I uh, heard—is it Steve, her dad's buddy, the plumber?
1: Yeah, Plumber Steve. Plumber Steve sucks. That guy is really crappy. He's uh,
0: he's really not a nice guy. I, not not one of the nicest plumbers I've ever seen, for sure. He could stand to learn a lot from those Mario brothers. That's uh, that's how I feel. Yeah,
1: yeah. Luigi and Mario would teach this guy a thing or two about manners, I yes. think. Yes. No, uh, You must have <laughs>
0: saved the princess and not to make a fun of her. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. No, this guy, you know, he goes from the Terry Colby School of Plumbing, at least in Yikes. terms of how he talks to Angela. Yikes. Uh, yes. You know, what? once again, why... What is this? I mean, I don't want to repeat any of this language. You don't but- want to get caught doing a repeater. No, we don't want to do the repeater. Uh, Bed Foster, he couldn't say meow nine times. <laughs> uh, but we see Steve, like, yeah, he's, you know, he's saying, oh, Angela, didn't you see you at your dad's, you know, barbecue? And she's like, yeah, you know, I've been busy. He's like, yeah, I know you have been. It's got to be pretty awful for your dad to see you bowing down to the people who killed your mom. It's got to be a tough pill to swallow. And then something else about swallowing, and it's just all very, very terrible stuff. Uh, Angela, who seems at least half drunk throughout this entire sequence uh, just does not stand for that whatsoever.
0: Yeah. I mean, half drunk is putting it nicely. I mean, you could also say she's she's medicated. I mean, she's out of it for one reason or another. And we have to track this. So timeline wise, this is probably occurring on the actual 4th of July proper. There's a big sign that says July 4 live band karaoke. There's a lot of decorations up. Some people are dressed up for the holiday so that this seems to be occurring on July 4th. We have to keep in mind that the hack with the femme to sell and the scene with Darlene and Angela outside of Angela's apartment we saw in a previous episode, that was on July 3rd. All of the stress of July 3rd was all of that. Was Angela dealing with DDP at her desk? Was Angela seeing Cisco and meeting all of that? That's all in the days before this 4th of July issue. So for the 4th of July, this is not a happy holiday for Angela. She's really rattled. She's found out her childhood friends are probably the ones behind this horrible hack that is ruining lives
1: and really know probably about yeah
0: she's got it you you know she's onto that you're reading that that way for sure Yeah. yeah and i mike and i talked about that a little bit and i think that i think that that's where i'm reading it as well that she didn't want to admit it to herself she almost didn't want darlene to confirm it but both of those things happened angela did admit it to herself that she knew darlene by not Protesting, admitted it to Angela. Silence is acceptance. Silence is acceptance. We got to be careful with that. Uh, that is a legal term, but the, it, it is a, it is a hot button legal term. Uh, so yes, there is no uh, there is there is there is no protest from Darlene about Angela's theory about who is behind the hacks, and that's got to be soul crushing for Angela. So as we ask ourselves, why is she so screwed up, or where what is what is her motivation? Why is she so adrift? Keep in mind, this is all that's been weighing on her, like the thing with Cisco. She's just found out about how her friends, the people that she trusted, were responsible for that. And they were also responsible for this horrible hack. And it's the right. next day. And she's listening yes. to horribly sung karaoke with a live band. This isn't that place in New York, Josh, where all the Broadway people go. Is that called, like, uh, Below Whatever? I don't remember what it's called. But you know what I'm talking so about.
1: I, <laughs> I kind of got kind of to admit I don't. Oh,
0: what's the place where Broadway people go that there's a great live band and they do live band karaoke? It's
1: Oh, I wish I knew yeah, about that. It's a this. very
0: famous place. I don't know. Somebody tell us in the comments or tweeted at us. But yeah, this isn't that kind of place. It's just like a normal bar with a guy playing piano. And we get later the the heart-wrenching rendition that Angela puts out. And she's got tears in her eyes. And it's not surprising why. This is everything that's been happening to her. So yeah, Steve is just piling on. He has no idea. What do you think about the way Angela pushes back? Do you think she believes the words that she's saying?
1: This has been the big question with Angela Moss ever since she stepped into E-Corp. Um, you know, ever since the season finale of season one, she chose to accept this job and she has been going deeper and deeper into the belly of the beast and becoming more and more alien to us. You know, us having to try and figure out what is she really after. Uh, more alien just in, this, in the fact that she oftentimes seems like a different person. Like she is the same, you know, general flesh and blood structure of Angela that we've known all season long but it's acting so cold and almost robotic and almost like she is from another planet and the real Angela has been abducted somewhere. I don't think that's actually what's going on, but that's how it reads sometimes. (laughs) I think that, you know, with, with Angela in this scene when she is saying... I'm 27, I have a six-figure salary at the biggest conglomerate in history, and I'm just getting started. That's who I am. I think that flies in the face of some of the stuff that we have seen with Angela. Angela certainly was willing to work with F Society to hack the FBI, all of that. She has been also engineering her way into the department of E Corp that she wants to go to, even though it was a lateral move and it doesn't seem, at least on the surface, to have paid off at all. She seems like she's had her own ulterior motives here in E Corp, you know genuinely interested in making that job of hers work uh But there's also moments where it doesn't feel like she believes it. And I think that the fact that Angela has had to have all these moments that we haven't seen in a little while, but it's been established that she, you know, listens to affirmations and repeats them out loud and is consciously trying to convince herself of a thing. I don't know how much she believes this. And I think it's echoed in her performance of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which isn't just, you know, the lyrics of which aren't just speaking to the journey that she's been on and that Mr. Robot has been all about, but I think it's also the way that she is and the emotion that's there, the fact that this is somebody who has been very, not just emotionally battered by her circumstances recently, but mentally exhausted, I'm sure, about trying to maintain all of these other illusory worlds of her own. Elliot's not the only person with a vivid imagination. Certainly the most vivid imagination of anybody we've seen on the show, and we're in his head in a way that we're not in anybody else's head on the show. But Angela herself has created a lot of fictional worlds as well. And it's up to us to figure out which one is the real world. I'm sure that's going to manifest itself at some point in the future. But even here right now, it's not entirely clear to me that Angela is coming across as somebody who believes her own bullshit. It could just be bull Shit, or maybe she does actually buy into it. It's not super clear to me. My instinct is she doesn't buy. it.
0: Yeah, it, she does pivot when she's at her lowest moment when Steve hits her to I'm 27 six figure salary biggest conglomerate in history. I'm just getting started. And she does sing everybody wants to rule the world, although she sings it in a very flat Sad, depressing kind of way, especially the way it's shot and the way it's pulled off. She doesn't sing it in a defiant, happy way. So I don't exactly know uh, whether you're, <laughs> whether she's been abducted by aliens, whether Alpha's involved, Josh, uh, or whether there's yes. something else in, in play here. Uh, but
1: yeah, you're right. I think It's, it's the 400-pound gorilla in the room is what we're trying it is. to say.
0: It's the four, It's the Harambe in the room. Uh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> so, hey, listen, we're going to meme it up. We're going to meme it up here,
1: Stop. Josh. No. Uh, but
0: yeah, so this is the Harambe in the room and that's what's happening. It, it's crazy because there, I don't know if it plays this way for everybody. And, and you can, I don't know if this is a feature that, that is, that goes, did you notice the quote that showed up after, right after this Angela scene?
1: No, tell me.
0: So, so USA must have a feature uh, where it's called quote-unquote, where there's a quote that ties into their show. I don't know. After this scene, but before the commercial, there was a USA Network logo, and then it said USA, quote-unquote, and then it presented a quote from Lewis Carroll, and the quote was, Sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. And that's all it was. And it said, Mr. Robot, like it, and it had the Mr. Robot logo after, but it was clearly presented by USA. It wasn't part of the Mr. Robot show. It was like an interstitial, something that came after the show, but before the commercial, that was a little bit of a network promo. And it had this weird Lewis Carroll quote there. So I don't know what you're saying about Angela and all these different versions of her and the different things that she's manifesting. I think that that quote's interesting considering it was contextualized right after that scene.
1: It's really interesting to think about. I mean, even just thinking about Portia Doubleday almost kind of looks like Alice, like the Alice of of my imagination. And I think that there is an argument to be made that she has gone down the robot hole towards a wonderland of sorts, and she's encountering strange people and strange possibilities and strange worlds uh, that she had never imagined before. I think maybe looking at Angela's story through the looking glass might be instructive, but I haven't given it that much thought.
0: Yeah, I I haven't
1: either and, uh, and philip price is the jabberwocky <laughs>
0: exactly uh he, did he uh did he have uh, what is it like was brilling in the slithy tomes or, or whatever that is? yeah, yeah. maybe there is a maybe he's the walrus uh, and the carpenter like maybe there's a uh-huh. lot of philip price there
1: <laughs> mr rowat's kind of cheshire catty i feel like
0: yeah he's got that big grill well, philip price is a cheshire cat too though like, is, his yes. smile shows up before he does in a room a lot of the time and there's a lot of fangs behind it so i don't know i just think it's interesting that they put that quote Fun to in chew on
1: there. though for sure yeah yeah
0: and i never seen that. I've watched Mr. Robot live in real time a lot of, a lot of times that I've never seen that quote-unquote feature. And Maybe that's something the USA is doing for all their shows or a lot of shows, uh, but I, I saw it pop up there. It was after that scene with Angela. I do think it's a, it's a quote clearly that can relate to a lot of the different stories that are in play throughout this season, but it's one especially that roots in play with Angela where she's self-affirming and she's trying to believe these things and she's saying them as if saying them makes them true, but we also see after this scene, and we have to get into timeline again because this is from the previous episode... But several weeks after this scene, when we see Angela in her new job in risk management, she's bungling it up, or maybe she's bungling it up on purpose. We don't know. But Josh, that's the scene from last episode where Susan Jacobs is already missing, so we know that it's after the events of this episode. She hasn't been found. Angela's in her new job. She's in the conference room, and she's still asking for that Washington Township file. So she does seem to have a bigger plan in play that involved her being in that department and getting access to that file, but she's not doing doing a good enough job right away with her new boss to get it. So she is trying to do a lot in these scenes, and I'm not sure what her greater plan is. So when she says, I'm just getting started on July 3rd, we see more of that play out after that. And and then we go from there. Like the timeline wise, July seventh is the date that Angela goes to see her dad in the big box store and tells him she's already got the signatures to have the lawsuit dropped. Then she subsequent to that has the lawsuit drop and moves to the this new job. So we have to look at Angela on that spectrum and see that this is just one moment in time of Angela. And we've already seen moments after this with Angela in the previous episode. But this is just a weird this is a weird sequence because Duck Philip shows up at some point. Yeah, I was
1: gonna say we've been talking a lot about Cheshire Cats and White Rabbits, but let's talk some duck. Yeah. No uh, dogs d-
0: with duck this time, unfortunately. <laughs> no duck.
1: Duck Phillips of Mad Men fame here to to get a little flirt mance going on with Angela Moss. Is that what's going Sounds on? Sounds like here? it might be
0: more than a flirt mance, Josh. If, Yikes, you, if you listen yeah. to her uh, date that had taken her to the bar, uh, what is it with Angela like like going to what is she just like going to gin joints and listening to bad music? Why is this a date hobby of Angela's?
1: I don't know. It's just her way of meeting people, I guess. I don't know how people do it in the modern day.
0: Well, and we know going into season one, speaking of pilots and early episodes, uh, Angela is reputed by Elliot to have very bad taste in men.
1: Right, so yeah. I don't
0: know. I don't know what's going on with Duck Phillips. DDP just
1: don't get him drunk and bring him to the E Corp offices after dark, especially if he's had a particularly foul meal. Oh. If he's had like any beans or anything like that.
0: Yes, uh, like water from uh from ducks. uh Yeah, that could happen. So <laughs> stay away. Yeah, stay we don't away. want we don't want that to happen. That's right. But I don't know. DDP was hilarious. A contact, like she thought that he would have been somebody from some other world. I don't know that that's the case. I don't know what Angela's deal. Is her date chalks it up to the fact that she just has a thing for older guys i don't think in this moment we really know anything there was a subtle yet i think important moment in this scene where he totally just pays for his bar tab with e-coins like it's becoming the new standard we had that scene with angela in the cab last week with the 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 news reporter talking about it becoming the new standard that does seem to be a key part of this plan
1: right oh yeah of course i mean that's you know what what have philip price and white rose been driving at you know it, it feels very strongly like you know Hoisting up ecoin and making that the big thing, and you know, putting everybody's chips in that corner—that seems to be a huge part of this meta game that's playing out here. And we're seeing it catch fire. You know, it's not just Duck Phillips paying for Angela's bar tab with ecoin. We're going to see Darlene herself is going to use ecoin at right. some point in this episode, not from her own account necessarily, but it's really spread. It's caught fire. That's not great for the F Society, cause no.
0: And that was, you know, that was a big part of what was going on with Ray's website with the hot and cold wallets and the. Coins right. that were happening there, so there this is to a major part of the thing, and as you say, Philip Price and White Rose is your read then that Philip Price knew the five nine hack would happen and let it happen because he had a greater plan in play? are you still re, are you reading it that he knew it was going to go down, not that he reacted, yeah. that he helped it along the way, maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've batted that back and forth all podcast long, you know, throughout all of these. And I think until proven otherwise, you at least have to consider that as a strong possibility. I haven't seen anything yet that has disproved that as a possibility. Uh, It's also possible that he is, you know, quickly rebounding from everything that's happened. But I think to underestimate Philip Price would be a grave error and to assume uh, or not to assume, but to think that he might have had knowledge of what was coming his way and was pivoting in such a way as to benefit from it, especially considering his close relationship with the leader of the Dark Army, I think that there's a lot of reason to think that Philip Price saw these shots coming, that he saw these bullets coming straight for E-Corp and was able to pivot in the direction of it. Um, I think that's very, very much on the well,
0: table. Well, it, it's it's interesting to me because that wasn't the way I read it with just the post-credits scene from season one, where oh yeah, no, but to be the, upset the, about
1: it, right? Right, but further scenes, I think, have shown that there is a little bit more to the story than that. Again,
0: it's all about contextualizing. And I think it's about getting more information as the curtain continues to be pulled back a little bit more and seeing things and lensing them a little bit differently as we do that. And I think that the the information about what these people's really secret goals are, what their secret desires are, what their secret plans are, we see that leaking out more gradually. Uh, For example, that's what F Society wants to dig up on Madam Executioner, on Susan Jacobs. As, as what's happening earlier in the episode, of course, as Cisco's trying to talk Mobley to stay, and not to leave the house, Madame Executioner walks in. They've been asleep at the wheel. They haven't been checking on her. Josh, you thought this needed to happen much sooner. Uh, when is she going to come back? Where's this? How long is this going to last? You thought the location was going to get burned. It did get burned. She does show back up. They're immediately tying her up in the pool room. And then as we're getting Angela singing the karaoke, we're basically getting them trying to own her and hack into her email accounts and what i think was a beautiful sequence
1: yeah no really really great stuff Uh, i you know part of me now especially that we are finding out that darlene has been fantasizing about susan jacobs from the time that she was four years old you know that is when susan jacobs was first on her radar she caught the smile that susan jacobs had that nobody else seemed to have seen i feel like darlene's been i don't know if this was completely premeditated you know killing susan jacobs but she certainly was angling for this and pushing this into existence you know choosing susan jacobs apartment as the f society base of operations like you said me being like when is susan jacobs going to show up how long can these people stay in this apartment before she shows up turns out they really overstayed their welcome and part of me wonders was Darlene asking for this? Did Darlene want this to happen? Yeah, uh, and that's that's maybe subconsciously, but like uh, too coincidental for that not to be the case. That's the
0: big debate. As we see, even as the audience in this sequence, we as well, even in just passing glances of her email accounts, it's impossible not to notice the cardiology stuff, the stuff about the heart, the stuff that's popping up. You don't have to freeze frame it. Those are you. It's usually in the top five emails in the inbox when they pull up an inbox. It's. Really really hard not to see that in passing. It's sort of hard to assume that Darlene wouldn't have seen that, that she walked in there with a taser. It does almost seem like Darlene is okay with all of this happening the way it happened, uh, and maybe even setting it in motion to plan it that way. Uh, Everybody wants to rule the world, Josh.
1: Everybody wants to rule the world, and at least Darlene wants to execute Madame Executioner. I mean, I think, I think she goes down there, and she says later on in the episode, like, I kept waiting for something to stop me, and nothing stopped me. But in her heart of hearts, I think she knew what she was going to do, and I think she knew exactly what she wanted to do.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I think it's fascinating because didn't you speak to Carly Chalkin about this, and she had a slightly different read on that?
1: Her interpretation of it is that it wasn't necessarily... Yeah, I spoke with her for THR, and Carly Chagan basically said, I don't know if Darlene knew that she was going to go down there and knew exactly what she was going to do. She was just waiting for something to stop her, and nothing stopped her. I didn't read it that way. And, you know, granted, she's the actor. She's involved in making the show, so take her word over mine, I would probably say. But also, I think just in terms of the interpretation of the moment... Darlene goes there and she's got the taser and she has read the emails. She has gone through all of that stuff. Mobley is going to call her out a second later, be like, There were tons of emails in her account about her heart condition. You didn't see that? And Darlene's like, no, I don't buy that. And Mobley certainly doesn't buy that. I don't buy that Darlene didn't know exactly what would happen if she put that uh, device, if she shocked uh, Madame Executioner, right in the heart. I think she knew exactly what was going to happen there. Whether or not it's, you know, she went down there with full intent to kill Susan Jacobs, Um, that's that's my reading of it. I don't know about yours.
0: Yeah, I— I just think that Darlene was was always capable. I think what Darlene says later in the episode about how she always thought that she would, she would, you know, wanted to kill her, sure, but that something would would make her stop, that she would never actually go through with it, and that she was maybe even a little surprised herself when she did go through with it. I do think that she's being honest in that 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 analysis when she basically says, "I always thought I would stop. I thought there would be something that would that would turn on, and I wouldn't do this, and I did it. So here we are. Uh, I, 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 you know, she doesn't feel bad for it. She even tells Cisco that later, but then nothing stops. Adopter. So, I think that that's a huge part of it, but I do think there is this read where, for example, when Angela and Darlene meet in season one, the, in episode eight, when we realize for the first time that they actually know each other, one is the white swan, Angela, and one is the black swan, and that's Darlene. Uh, when we, we talk about that theory about Darlene possibly being the one pushing the buttons with Elliot to get him into place and to wake Mr. Robot up when she says, hey, put on this mask, she shows up with the mask. When she tells him to put on the coat and put the mask on with the coat, when she brings that to life, essentially. Uh, Whether it's intentional or not, it depends on how you read Darlene, but I think there is a way to read Darlene as being malevolent. Keep in mind, Mr. Robot, when he introduces Darlene to Elliot basically says, she's a malware hacker. You don't want to mess with that kind of person. They got a lot of problems, right. you know? Right. So this is the Darlene we talk about, and this is the episode that is so fully about Darlene and Darlene being Elliot's successor that we've seen what Elliot is capable of doing as Mr. Robot and pulling guns on people who later end up dead and things like that and having this violent force and being the guy who is pushing Elliot as Sam Sepiol to rip Bill completely down, not just to get away. So there are these forces within Elliot that are malevolent as well. When Darlene puts on the mask, when Darlene puts on the coat, it's not, I don't think, that strange that we're seeing her be more malevolent as well.
1: I think what's also great is, haven't we been tracking uh, color with Darlene all season long? I know that's something that you've been watching closely. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of that. So what did you find interesting in this episode?
1: So we've been watching her with the color red, right? And we've been wondering, oh, my God, is something really awful going to happen to Darlene? Is this connecting with death? Is Darlene going to die? Is she marked for death? Is this going to be the big twist of the season? At least that's something that i had been wondering about. Turns out that she's, you know, at least not yet, she's not dead. But do you feel like that color pattern, is that paid off here in Darlene making her first kill, in killing Susan Jacobs and crossing that line for the first time? Yeah,
0: I, I think that there's a possibility there. I think that marked for jail is just as likely here. I think we talked about that already on this podcast, that we have a lot of these loose ends that all point back to Darlene. Uh, we're going to see one in a moment here. The first scene we yeah, get... Yeah, I mean,
1: we could... We could dig right into it right yeah, now. Yeah, we're going
0: to get DDP interviewing the the banker, uh, the F-U-C-C-B-O-I banker, as I would like <laughs> to say. I won't say the word. I'll spell it out. But yeah, oh that dude, God. just a total, total F-boy, just like hanging out, and he's rich, and he's smart, and he's powerful. And,
1: Shades of bloom still lingering Hey, here. I'm a half-bloom at all times. It's like He's it's like
0: my Mr. Robot, and Mike Bloom's Mr. Oh robot gosh. is full bloom. He admitted that on the podcast. I love it. So Mike Bloom is my Mr. Robot, and his is Full Bloom, so there we are. But yeah, right. they, they found the casing at the arcade, linked back to his gun, a gun which he apparently had illegally, and all DDP is looking for from this guy is a name because he's an F-boy. We know he's probably going to give this name up, and we end the scene without seeing how that ends. It's a lot like the Gideon scene. What we're seeing, I think, just more, more not just this scene with Darlene and where, where the portends are, but I think if you read the entrails in general, what what you can see is that the fbi they're working like whether or not we knew it or not whether we thought they were clueless and that they could just get hacked and they were stupid and hanging out on the e-corp floor and had no idea that people within the FD- fbi at least with people like ddp they are working. They're they're working these angles. They're talking to people like Gideon. They're bringing in the guy with the shell casing. They're looking at Mobley. So they're onto the evidence. Whatever evidence is out there, they're sniffing it out. And you got to think that someone like DDP and her dogged determination. And the reason we built her character up is she's going to turn over a rock at some point, and there's going to be something underneath it. Maybe it's this guy, Josh. Maybe this guy's going to give a nice description of Darlene. Maybe he knows her name. Maybe he's got a picture or can draw a picture or have someone draw one. This has to be a pretty important door, right?
1: Totally. And I think now to start tying it back to some loose ends that I know that you really wanted to tie things back to, this for me is the big one. So like if if this guy gives up Darlene, and now DDP has Darlene, or somehow is able to deduce from the information that this guy has on Darlene, um, she can go down that robot hole. She can go down the social media accounts of Darlene. She can go back and see what you and I marked several episodes ago of her Instagramming the careful massacre of the bourgeoisie. And we have... Had it reminded to us with Angela the week before saying, I remember you and Elliot making me watch that stupid movie. The second I saw that mask, I knew what was going on. DDP is no idiot. DDP, if she finds Darlene's Instagram page and sees Darlene posting that picture, she's going to connect the dot as well. Uh, so there is a big, big loose end right there that DDP is clued into Darlene Potentially, at least, but probably, I would say, in a way that she's never been before, which is why I'm saying that she doesn't even need that video to see that Darlene is clearly heavily involved with F Society, if not at the very top, then pretty damn close.
0: Yeah, uh, I I think that that's uh, I think that that's right. And I think that it's. It's difficult. We're in a bad spot for Darlene. Bad spot for Darlene,
1: yeah. and like add to all of this, like all of the things that would already send her to jail forever. You know, probably are pretty damn close to forever that she has already done. Now you add murder to. She's the list. in the
0: same spot as Tyrell Wellick. She's going to be linked to the five nine hack and suspected of a murder of a key uh, connection to E Corp. And I don't know. Did you make anything of Philip Price last episode, saying she's my silent partner in crime when he was introducing Sharon Knowles? to the Wellicks at that flashback party.
1: No, I didn't make anything other of it than I noticed it. And the other thing that I thought about was you know, going back in the memory banks and remembering when Tyrell in episode three of Mr. Robot is going to meet with Philip to try and get that CTO spot, and Sharon is in the office with Philip Price. So we've seen Philip Price and Sharon Knowles interact with each other one-on-one without anybody else in sight, uh, without certainly without Scott in the picture. We've seen it before. I don't really know what to make of it, but it was a callback to that at the very least is it
0: possible that the murder of Sharon Knowles was in fact something that needed to happen that maybe she had some greater connection to the dark army versus Philip Price story and that her murder that Tyrell being pushed to it was something Joanna motivated do you are you are you reading Joanna Wellick as a possible dark army agent at this point Josh
1: I know that's something that you're really, really hooked into, um, and I, I know that you were talking about that with Mike over the past couple of weeks. And I, I don't know if I fully, fully see it yet. Other than to say that it it made me think it made it made me wonder a little bit because we want to know what what are Tyrell and Joanna driving at? You know, what is their big thing? They clearly have this Uber goal uh, as they're discussing you know power and how to get him to be CTO and why is Tyrell so aggressively after that job? Why does his whole world hinge on it is it purely because he is you know this power hungry lunatic or is there more involved there and it made me wonder if they're not dark army is there some other you know faction at play dark army would certainly fit and i wouldn't be i mean i would be blown away i would be blown away if the masks are pulled off later on in the season we find out that tyrell and joanna have been dark army this whole time and have been trying to infiltrate for whatever reason And I don't, I'm not sold on it. I'm not sold on Joanna being Dark Army or Tyrell being Dark Army, but I could see the possibility. I think that it is out there. And I think it is worth looking at Joanna from that skeptical eye of who do you work for? Is there somebody that she's working
0: for? Well, yeah. And we had Leon protecting Elliot and Joanna has been acting to protect Elliot. So something's going on there. But the reason I brought it up now is the next scene that we see after the banker scene is we have Darlene... Interrogating, giving the whole story as we've talked about with Madam Executioner. Ultimately, Darlene becoming Madam Executioner, shocking Madam Executioner into the pool, killing her, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But now, if we're looking at that, that the earlier in the season we had Scott Knowles, Philip Price, and Madam Executioner in a room. What should we do about the demand for five point nine million dollars? What are the optics? How do we handle this? They want one of our our chiefs. They want one of our chiefs, and we now know if, if Scott Knowles and Susan Jacobs qualify that, and Philip Price is as well. Well, Susan Jacobs is a woman with secrets. She had some the the this thing which, which Darlene co- refers to as a Petraeus email kind of thing. Uh, she had bad judgment. She, she exercised some bad judgment. Yes, poor judgment. Yes, she yes, sleeping with the enemy, if you will. If you're a yes. lawyer, yes, uh, and not uh, and, and and so all of this was hooking up, hooking up. Apparently, she had some illicit relationships with presiding judges in her cases, which is a big 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 no no. That is blackmail material. The, the sort of thing that can take down her career unquestionably. But she's in the inner circle. The inner sanctum, the holy of holies of E Corp and Philip Price, silent partner or verbal partner. She's in that room with Philip Price and Scott Knowles. She's one of their chiefs, and she does have her own secrets. She's dead. The same if, if you talk about a silent partner in crime, Sharon Knowles is also dead. People are being removed from the game. If it is a chess match, pieces are being lost and key pieces like Sharon Knowles was, was apparently a key piece for Philip Price. I got to think Susan Jacobs, another key piece. For Philip Price, sure. I, I, Darlene killed her because she killed her in the moment. But I, I do, I do just wonder if part of the plan isn't let's put these two forces again. Like let's take these crazy anarchic, like screwed up in the head hackers. If, if you're the Dark Army, let's set them. Out at and against Evil Corp, who is seemingly somebody we can work with together on all this business, but somebody we're going to make a play against behind their back. We'll put this force in play against them. Then just they're going to take them down one by one. I don't know how that all plays out. I don't know if White Rose is smart enough to know this. Darlene, she had she probably had a grudge against this lawyer her whole life because it was a lawyer who worked on her father's case. So this person is connected enough to the case that if ever if you ever put the two in the same room. This crazy malevolent person is going to probably take her out. I don't know if that's the case, but it seems awfully convenient that all these people who are key players are starting to be removed from the board one by one. And that's what happens in this scene. And we, we figure out what Darlene's motivation for is. Uh, I don't think it's that big of a leap for her to commit this act against Madame Executioner.
1: No, not at all. But
0: it almost feels like the reason they used her house to begin with, the reason they were there to begin with, was that Darlene wanted to take her out. And if that's the case, was that a a larger goal? Who put that goal in Darlene's head? Who suggested that to her? Where did that come from?
1: Well... I don't know. I, I don't want. I want to. I want to keep this on Darlene. You know, I, I think that that should be pinned on Darlene, at least from my view of it. I feel like it takes a little bit out of her character if this was something she was manipulated into doing, and I think that she's been nursing this grudge since she's four years old. She makes that really, really clear. I think the question is like, how long was she waiting to actually? physically murder Susan Jacobs? That, that's a question to me, but I feel like one of the things, obviously, that this show deals with is, you know, what's on surface level and what's beneath? What's conscious and what's unconscious? You know, what's, what's resting in the subconscious that's waiting to bubble up into the surface and into the real world? And that's seen most acutely with Elliot, but I think that you could see it more subtly here, especially in retrospect now that we know Darlene's full history with Susan Jacobs, why she would pick Susan Jacobs' apartment, why she would stay as long as she did, why she would go down with the taser, why she would be ready to make the move that she makes. Um, I think that A lot of this is on Darlene, and I think Darlene has really been waiting for a moment like this. I think that Darlene's character has certainly been pushing in this direction for a long time, being somebody who is willing to cross this line. I do wonder if this takes her out of the running for having assassinated Romero, uh, of being somebody who could have you know, called that shot. I feel like it does. This feels to me, I don't know how it plays to you, this feels pretty genuinely like Darlene's first kill.
0: Yeah, that's how I read it as well. And I I didn't... I didn't read it as obviously her first kill, but that was a question that I wanted to know, and I came down on the same side of that. Is that I think this was her first as well. Um, that was my read. I didn't think it was obvious. It's funny. I, I googled uh, and I was just googling about Darlene last night after the episode, and I found this article. I was reading about the motivations, and it was the article was very sure it was her first kill. Then I looked up about after reading about four paragraphs, and you had written it. So I uh, I, I feels like we're on the same page right. about this being her first kill. Uh, we did have some questions about that but i i i think this is it i mean i think this is her first one i think that there's a uh, I think that there's probably a reason for her to do it caleb from atlanta said killing susan was the only logical thing for f society and darlene to do right they can't have her alive um that's a major major thing dominic had emailed in and asked do you think this was her first kill uh by how surprised she was i and, and about not feeling bad i think we can rule her out for Amara's death i would agree with that that's what you're saying yeah so I think we're on the same page about this being her first kill I think the motivation is clear but I, I and I don't and I, I understand what you're saying about it taking away something from her character I don't want to focus on who told her that but I do think we, we live in a world where it is possible that both Darlene and Angela have been exploited that they're being manipulated by larger forces and that it will be a character moment for them when they figure that out and I think we can still exist in a story where they decide to strike back at the forces that were manipulating them and that that's a later season of a show where Elliot realizes the whole time that he's been a pawn of the dark army in a bigger game that was not concerned at all with the things he was concerned about and then he decides he wants to strike back against those people like I can see that playing out so
1: so you want to flag it that there is the possibility that whether it's White Rose or someone on the dark army side of things if this is a chess match between Philip Price and White Rose you want to you want to plant the flag and the possibility that we might learn later on where Darlene got the idea to go and you know, set up shop at Susan Jacobs' apartment.
0: Right, right. Knowing full, full, knowing fully that by putting those two forces in the same room, that that would likely end. It's kind in-
1: of like a like a Briggs situation. You know, put Sawyer in the room with the guy, and you know you're going to get the you're going to get the thing that you want to have happen. If yes. you're John Locke,
0: right? yeah, I mean that's exactly what I'm thinking about, and it is. I only say that because it's very convenient for anyone who's oppositional to Evil Corp that Susan Jacobs is off the board now. She was their hit woman. She was their madam Executioner. Yeah, madam Executioner is she was, a,
1: you know, you're killing one of, like, the core supervillains. She
0: was one of their chiefs. We already see what happens at risk management meetings when she's not there. They just blow them off and cancel them. There's no reason having the meeting if she's not there, they say. She is their woman in terms of this. And that's a great reason for Darlene to take her out and act against Evil Corp. But it just so happens there is this larger mal- Force that is acting against Darlene, and that has a greater plan for Darlene, as personified by Cisco in this episode, and as we see him working for the Dark Army against Darlene, perhaps that just so happens that that greater force also probably is oppositional to Evil Corp and has and benefits from this action, or this is certainly something that benefits them. So there is that aspect of it that I think it it needs to be mentioned. I think you're right. I think it's about putting a flag in it and coming back and looking at it later. But I, I, I think that's a major undercurrent of this episode. We see it play out in other scenes. The debate about whether Darlene should have done it or did do it or whatever, I think that that comes up with Mobley and Trenton they're at the, b- the bowery stop the train they're waiting there trenton's wondering if darlene meant to kill her saying oh it had to be self-defense like they don't want to believe uh, that sweet Darlene's. trenton so right. sweet yeah mobley is basically like dude we got to go what did you think about the fact that once madam executioner was off the table then the dark army's cisco the dark army's turtle from entourage was totally <laughs> fine with letting him go
1: well, I think at that point, you know, things have just gone so far that what are you going to do short of actually physically stopping Mobley from leaving? And listen, I'll, I, I don't know about like an actual all out brawl, uh, like a planned, like, you know, fight or anything like that. But I'm taking Mobley over Cisco. Cisco might be more long term dangerous, but I think Mobley in that moment is going to get past Cisco if Cisco's trying to block the door. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like Cisco, what can he do? Mobley is now in in an apartment with a dead body. If that dude wants to leave, he leaves. And I think that he does so at his own peril. And I think that Cisco is only going to try and keep a lid on these people as much as it makes sense to actually do. But if you leave, you leave at your own peril at this point.
0: Yeah, I don't. we don't really know what his motivations are vis-a-vis the Dark Army just now. We don't know what phase two of their plan is going to look like. We don't know what their plan is, whether it involves Darlene or all of them. It's obviously a bad move to let Mobley go. There's great reason to suspect there might be FBI surveillance on him. He could lead them right back to that place, crack under pressure, do all the things I think it's natural to be worried about Dar- about Mobley doing. I don't think Cisco's instincts are that good. There's a reason he's an easy comp to turtle from Entourage, because he's not that smart. I don't think... Think the very next. Scene, he's
1: smarter than we give him credit for, but he's not a super genius. No.
0: Well, no, because like Mobley, for example, seems to be woke. Like he is waking up to all the aspects of everything that's happening. He's the one who tells Trenton before he gets on the train, like what we did was colossally stupid, and we can't afford to not realize
1: that anymore. I loved that line. I thought that was great.
0: Right. So he's he's woke. Like he's understanding. Like okay, we probably shouldn't have done it, and it's causing a lot of problems that we did do it. Elliot has been there a little bit too. Elliot has, has mentioned or. Uh, raised some similar concerns even as he's been jailed but uh but cisco or but but our boy mobley josh our son is all in on this cisco is like let's leave the body in the apartment let's just go
1: like well cisco, he's saying like let's call my guys i got a cleanup crew and darlene's like i don't trust your cleanup crew
0: yeah but that's only after darlene says we need to get rid of it before right. that i think cisco is basically like let's leave the body and darlene's like no no people will come back and they're going to find it. Like, even if we tell them not to come back and the place is blown, there's no way to assure that they're not going to ignore that and just show back up.
1: There's a reason why Cisco's a foot soldier, Antonio. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he's not good
0: at it. And so I don't know that we can always ascribe brilliance to this guy.
1: Sure. Well, also, I mean, this falls in line with what I think is like one of the big aggravations of the episode in terms of, like, Mr. Robot is usually so good about not falling into cliche rabbit holes, but this one really did bother me at the end of the episode that Darlene is able to find out what she finds out about Sisko because he left his you know, his laptop open. She's not an idiot. She can, you know, she can find what's on your computer if you leave your laptop open. But I think that, you know, what I was annoyed by with that earlier, I think in talking this through a little bit about Cisco, that feels like it's in line with Cisco, a little sloppy, not thinking things all the way through, probably thinking she's still going to sleep in. He'll get out of the shower. He'll have time to close his laptop, just being a little bit of a lazy schmohawk. Yeah, he's aware of these tropes,
0: though, Josh, because he says he ain't obliging any discussions about acid woodchippers. and wood yes. right? yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's hip to the Breaking Bad and Fargo of it all.
0: Yeah, so he's, I, it's not clear. This guy's dumb. He's being manipulated. He's doing some manipulating. I think dumb is
1: harsh, but I think that he's not next-level genius.
0: No, I just you're right. He's a pawn at best, and right. he's been told that he's a pawn. He knows that he is. He is a foot soldier. He's been told not to ask questions. He's letting him, his emotions uh, play tricks on him and do bets thinks he may be dead this may be our eulogy for cisco josh
1: i doubt it do you think do you think Cisco's done you think the baseball bat to the head and then darlene and elliot are going to take care of cisco or something like that i i kind of want him to be dead
0: <laughs> wow yeah i don't know i just kind of I, I kind of want him to be dead because i don't like the idea that <clears throat> that he is a power player vis-a-vis the relationship with Darlene, that he's got this other agenda and that Darlene has been manipulated in part by him. I don't like that because I like Darlene a lot more. I do think she's a lot smarter than Cisco. Of course. I think Cisco's a little heavy-handed and ham-handed, and I just don't ham really fist see ad. it. And ham-fisted, yeah, all that's playing out. But Darlene might be stupid too because they go to the animal shelter, and what's she doing? She's paying, bribing this guy at the animal shelter with Sharon Knowles, not Sharon Knowles, with Susan Jacobs. Uh, I got Mike Bloom there for a minute uh she's playing with susan jacobs e-coins what's happening there
1: yeah she's using you know whatever money she can i mean she doesn't have just two thousand bucks in e-coin on her own so she's using the susan jacobs wallet and you're thinking like okay so once people realize susan jacobs is gone and they're looking at past transactions why is she paying some money to you know this random guy at the vet Follow that thread down and maybe you start connecting a few dots. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's a big possibility, yeah. right? And I think it's a little harder, obviously, with these, with these eCoin transactions to make that. That was also cold storage, a paper wallet. That is more of an offline way to do it. That is not something that is as traceable as a standard transaction. So there was some suggestion there, I think, that would put it into play. How traceable would it really be? But look, that guy was just suspicious enough, right? He's a like, what's in that bag? Honestly, like it was pretty clear to that the guy. Yeah, yeah. There, there was something going on that he didn't want any part of, but Darlene paid him for a silence, whether or not that transaction will come back. It's not a hundred percent clear. Cisco seemed to be t- taken aback by Darlene, not only murdering the lady, but stealing her money. And then Cisco, when they're taking the body out of the bag, he's the one saying, this is some traumatizing <laughs> shit. Right,
1: right, right. He's more right. upset
0: at that, about it than Darlene is by a long, or by, by then she's showing at least.
1: Right. Well, I think that this is, the, this is the dynamic as far as it reads to me is, you know, Cisco is Dark Army. He has information that is often useful for Darlene because he has his ears to the ground on that side of the battlefield. He's not a shot caller. He's tried to be a shot caller, and we've seen where that's gotten him. It's gotten needles buried deep underneath his fingernails. It hasn't worked out very well for him. But he has that information, and I think that he's, you know, the type of guy that probably figures, I'm the man in this dynamic with dark. Darlene, so I'm the one who has to protect her. Darlene doesn't really need Cisco's protection, or at the very least, Darlene is somebody who doesn't necessarily want that protection. She has been impulsive in the past. She has been somebody who has taken charge of her own situation in the dynamic with Cisco before. Where Cisco is a pawn in the world of the Dark Army, and Darlene may well be a pawn in this war between uh, the Dark Army and E Corp, between White Rose and Philip Price, uh, I think that. She herself is very clearly, at, at least at the moment is the figurehead in F society. She is the, the queen of F society right now, so she's really the person who's at, at the top of this power dynamic between her and Cisco. I think that's great. I'm not so worried about Cisco's intentions for Darlene. I'm more worried about the Dark Army's intentions for Darlene, but I think when it comes to Cisco, Darlene is a weakness for her. He has gone back to her against his own better judgment a few times, And I think that after he gets over being hit with a baseball batten any sort of you know uh upset feelings or upset face that he has over that situation i feel like cisco is ultimately team darlene when it comes to it at the end of the day and if you're looking for cisco to die antonio i think that's probably the fastest way to get your wish is to see cisco go out on a limb for darlene i could see that playing out but i'd be really surprised if darlene just took cisco off the board
0: yeah, I think you're right, uh, and I, I still think a baseball bat to the head is one of those things that should be killing you, uh, but so we'll see. I mean, But I it's thought- like,
1: you know, that's like classic TV move of like, you know, just like the swift knockout move. I don't feel like that's uh you know, what what are the next steps that she just like keeps bashing his brains in over and over again off camera?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. One shot to the temple can get you with a fist, let alone a baseball bat. So sure, sure. It is classic TV, but I think they played with that a lot in this episode. For example, earlier, Trenton, I thought, killed Madame Executioner, and then if she wasn't dead and then darlene did the thing she did the thing so i thought Trenton had done it on accident by slamming her head into the wall in a very breaking bad like moment but even with other characters in breaking bad sometimes a big head injury doesn't kill you sure yeah so who knows what happens with cisco he's the one trying Madame to get benicky
1: yeah yes
0: exactly we might Amp have fisted <laughs> we might have a ham fisted in play here <laughs> but cisco's the one saying hey stay at my place uh cisco's well oh, let's get some sleep it's fine and right. so he's pushing her to to be in his his control it may be that he was never told hey keep mobley and trenton under wraps that his job was really strictly only to to keep tabs on darlene uh, and that maybe mobley and trenton were seen as disposable as spares and maybe it was fine to let the spares do whatever they wanted mobley himself very paranoid he's looking at his place getting surveillance the fbi eventually does bring him in it doesn't seem like trenton interacts with the fbi as immediately there there's a car outside her place that is speeding away, but Mobley's the one getting the knock on the door. He's the one who ends up in the room with DDP. Mobley, his real name is Marquesh. Did you catch Mar-kesh. that? Marquesh.
1: Yes, I did catch Where that. Where do you
0: get that, Josh? That's not yours or mine, is it?
1: It's not. I didn't name him. You didn't name him. Maybe it's the name he gave himself to protect himself when he traveled back in time.
0: Yeah, one R, one cash. So yes. <laughs> that's what it ends up with. But uh, he's been apparently waiting there all night. DDP's got the lollipop talking about Rami and Michelle's high school reunion.
1: Yes. So- R- Rami Malik and Shell's yes, exactly. That's what I was
0: going for. <laughs> uh, thank you for picking that up, uh, DJ. Yeah, this the DJ Mobley. It's just the saddest way for his hacker handle to get blown. Uh, this is a very. This is a very. He had
1: like what the 2003 Angel Fire page. Yes, that he, he created couldn't even go to Go Cities as a
0: fan page for this actual DJ that no one else was a fan of.
1: Oh my God, Angela Fire, our, uh, our son he, Josh. So yeah, so sad. he he is a huge DJ Mobley fan. He himself is not even the OG DJ Mobley.
0: No. No, he's not. There is an actual DJ Mobley. We found out that he was doing a show in Vegas the night of the hack, so he wasn't suspected. We thought the DJ Mobley thing was going to hurt our boy because of that, but it seemed like he had an alibi because the the real DJ Mobley was in Vegas, and they didn't understand the connection. Turns out, DDP, can't sleep at night, figures out the connection. Somebody does. Finds the Angel Fire page our boy made, and his hacker handle is blown. The lollipop is cast aside. This is, by the way, the way...
1: Good move, by the way. That looked like a bubblegum lollipop and I'm out on the bubblegum lollipop.
0: The gum in the lollipop is so gross. Like
1: I'm not even talking about the gum in the lollipop. I feel like that was bubblegum flavored. That's what it looked like to me. Oh. Either that or like Benadryl flavored lollipop. What's wrong with Benadryl? It's fine if you need medicine, but as a lollipop that feels like a long time to be soaking in the Benadryl flavor. What
0: if it was Have you ever had Dimetap elixir?
1: Not as a lollipop. Well, I have you had it
0: though, <laughs> cuz it tastes just like like a grape lollipop.
1: I don't know. Uh, Benadryl doesn't taste like a lollipop. Oh, so
0: you must be a Benadryl guy.
1: I'm not a huge Benadryl guy, but I've been known to imbibe.
0: Let's Benadryl down on uh, on what's happening with Mobley. The I think that I think the takeaway, right, is that is that the FBI doesn't really know what it's doing at its highest levels.
1: It doesn't seem like it. I mean, we have this moment where she is saying, you know, we don't want Tyrell Wellick's DJ. We want Tyrell Wellick. We want names. We want info from the party. It seems like they don't know who Mobley really is. Right. I mean, they, they know that Mobley is close to F Society. They don't know that Mobley is founding F Society, that he is one of the original members of F Society. It does not seem to me. I mean, if they knew that they would not cut him loose. Right, he's
0: one degree of separation away from Tyrell Wellick.
1: Yeah, from Tyrell Wellick and from, like, the actual person that they should be looking for, Elliot Alderson and And, and and Darlene. So, yeah,
0: regardless of anything else, if they just thought – that if they really wanted Tyrell Wellick and knew he was legitimately one degree of separation away from Tyrell, you never cut that guy loose. You do never. have that guy in
1: and you throw him in a hole. That's exactly and, you know, right. You know, make him confront all of the other angel fire fan pages he's made as like some sort of awful killing joke type of prison that he is going to be in until you psychologically break him and then get him to tell you where Tyrell Wellick is. Oh my
0: gosh, just angel after angel fire. Are we talking about preacher now, Josh?
1: That's the move. Yeah,
0: okay. All right. Well, yeah, I just, what do you make though of, the- the fact that they... Okay, so they don't really know what Mobley's real deal is. They're not as on... And to Mobley and F society as Mobley and F society are worried that they are. It doesn't seem that way, and they do seem to have other issues in play, in large part because of the tape that Darlene recorded, that Mobley himself recorded, right. and that Darlene leaked. Like so, Mobley's prevent, pre- presented his own out here, and secretly with his previous plan of putting that tape out, he's gotten himself out of jail. But what about DDP's boss, Josh? Can we talk about this guy? He's missing when everybody gets shot in the hotel. He just happens to not be there. Now he's telling Darlene to put, or not Darlene, put, telling DDP to put Mobley back on the street.
1: What about suspicious. DDP's boss here? Suspicious. You know, look at that guy. As you know, if we're on mole patrol here, and you know I always am, that is a top contender for somebody who is not who he says he is, or at least there's more to the story there. I think between the Dark Army thing was suspicious enough that he was not one of the people who was going down because he was just he happened to be missing he happened to miss lunch that day or miss the early shuttle uh and so he was not in the lobby when that happened uh now we have him saying cut Mobley loose all of that it does seem pretty fishy
0: yeah i just uh i think that there there's a good possibility here that there's more that this guy's burnt that there's more to this guy i i'm concerned about this because there's a phase two of the plan and that femme to sell as we talked about it it seemed to have been modified by the dark army that was a lie that Cisco told Darlene that he needed to modify it himself with an antenna or something else but really he was passing it to the dark army and getting their approval the dark army gave it back to him it it didn't there was an issue with the Wi-Fi right away that Angela had to fix at her desk but so far as we know the femme to sell is still in place and that getting that femme to sell in place was a key success for for Cisco and so I don't know if that femme to sell has a back door or an exploit in play with it. That's what they say near the end of the episode. Good job with the femme to sell. The backdoor is in play. So I don't know if this guy is part of that plan with the FBI. If he's a target, I don't specifically know. But I think there's more in play with this guy for sure.
1: 100. percent There's more in play, and it's whether or not is it Dark Army or is it you know his own agenda or something like that. There is some other shoe that's going to drop with that character soon.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and he says, think about how it. Looks, you know, you got to let him go. You kept him for twelve hours. He makes a compelling case for certain, but like I said, it, it, it shows not only that the FBI doesn't really know who Mobley is or what he's really connected, how he's really connected to the story, but they also seem to be worried about other things and serving other masters. Who those masters are, how many of them, I don't think we've really seen that play out. Uh, Mobley gets back on the streets. He's messaging Trenton. He's wiping his phone, dropping it off. His last words are essentially. I'm going to meet you at the place we first met noon show up. We're burnt. We have to hit the streets immediately, but then we don't see Mobley. He goes down into the subway. Did you see that van in the background, Josh, that big truck, the
1: the giant Cisco truck? Yes. How could you miss
0: it? Right? (laughs) Yeah. What do you think about that?
1: i don't know is it yeah i don't i thought i got that on the second viewing i didn't see it on the first run through i don't know if there's anything more to it than just you know a fun little here's cisco uh i think spelling is different i don't think that's how we spell cisco the character uh s-y uh s-c-o is not how we're saying cisco the name but maybe that's maybe that's wrong on my part maybe cisco's whole thing is that he is secretly in charge of the big cisco food enterprise Yes,
0: that's probably And maybe
1: we just spent so much time calling him a dummy and we're the dummies because he is the guy who's rolling in the bank
0: because he's a secret food enterprise genius yeah that's yes. possible
1: i don't know that I, would be very turtle that
0: would be it's like, oh what have you been doing this whole time you've had a separate thing this is crazy Yeah,
1: side business side
0: business yeah you just are you existing based of based off of our thing and then now you're turning it into something else i
1: hate you well i think one of the things about this episode you know as we're reaching the conclusion of it is we don't know what happens to mobley and trenton in this episode that's you know, the, the, the key the episode really gives us zero closure. And that's a big part of the reason why I wanted to just like puke on myself over and over again throughout this episode. Cause it was so intensive is, is a bullet just going to come and find Mobley is Trenton going to be taken out here at Ron's coffee shop. Uh, but we, we, cut away from them and we don't check back in with them there is no resolution Moby is not going to make it to ron's we don't find out what happens to Trent. she looks up at one point we cut away from her and then we're back with darlene and cisco in cisco's apartment and there's no returning to those characters whatsoever there is zero closure on what happened to Moby. there is zero closure on what happened to trenton but there is this undeniable sense of dread that something awful is either going to happen or may have happened already. Um, and if, if we're asking, you know, what is the Cisco truck? What does that mean? Is that representing an inevitability of the dark army descending upon Mobley as Cisco threatened or warned or promised would happen if Mobley were to be caught having any, you know, sort of blip on the radar of the FBI? And he's already been taken to the FBI. He was there. All day long. Got to imagine it's entirely possible that the Dark Army is aware of that. So the fates of these two characters, very, very unknown, and wouldn't be astonished to find out that their bodies just turn up in an episode or two. From I, think our I, would, son, I would hate, th- I think our I would hate son, that. I think our son is dead, Josh. You think our son is dead. You He's, think that's it for me. I hate Roble. it, but I, you can see it happening. You could see it happening. Um, I also could very much see it happening that they pop up in the next episode and, you know, have some other story that's about to start to transpire. But we may have seen, you know, this is the episode, first episode in Mr. Robot history without Elliot so focused on F Society and F Society really, really crumbling, or at least the core F Society that we've come to know, those guys really fracturing under pressure. This may, we may look back at this episode in retrospect and see this as the F Society swan- song that this might have been the final act for these people The Black Swan song because of yes. yeah yes exactly yeah we, I Black mean Swan I think that song. there's
0: there's valid questions there I think that we you know people have people have been asking is this the end of F society as we know it and are we seeing that uh that Dave backer or Dave Baker sorry had emailed in and asked have we witnessed the end of the first iteration of F society and he pointed out there's very similar editing and the the homage to the sopranos in that scene right. with, with Trenton there
1: don't stop believing that Trenton might be okay yeah
0: because what we have is mobley says meet me at noon it's been two hours he's not there and the last thing we've seen from him is him going down into the underworld with the cisco truck in the background and you as you're saying easy to see a world where the the dark army is trailing him knows that he's been meeting with the fbi for a really long time and as soon as he gets back on the streets they take him out he doesn't show up to the meeting with trenton somebody does because the meeting with trenton that the coffee shop ends with the door opening. Somebody is coming in. We don't
1: know who yeah, it is. Yeah, but that could... I mean, that could be anyone. Anyway, could be anybody. Right? It could be the guy in the members-only jacket.
0: Could be the guy in the members-only just looking to have a pee.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's
0: all it is. So we don't really know exactly where that's going. I think that... I think that's a very valid question to be wondering about as we go into this uh, is, is was that it? And and, and and was that a Sopranos thing? And is that it for F Society or not? So I think that that's where we are with Mobley and Trenton. My My view, Josh, is I think you... I think you're onto it, and I think, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see our son again. Uh, so brutal. we'll see, that, and that would be terrible because he's becoming a fan favorite. We had people, Bobby from Jersey, emailed in said, uh, "Does he have Hurley from Lost
1: upside, Josh?" Yeah, he does. If he survives, <laughs> <laughs> you know? if he lives, he's got tremendous Hurley upside. Yes,
0: this is our son, Josh. The world is really his oyster. His upside is enormous, and the world is his upside is endless. It is limitless. So,
1: of course, no. I mean, he's our son, so it's really Hurley had Mobley upside. That's
0: exactly right. We have to we right. have to look at it that way. But yeah, yes. I I mean the things are things are really Somebody knows. Somebody knows. It may not be the FBI, but somebody knows that Mobley and Trenton were involved and that Romero was involved. The FBI didn't kill Romero. Somebody took Romero out. And I think that we we see just how little the FBI, the straws they're grasping at. We do have that scene where DDP essentially reveals that the the random one-night stand who later became a date with Angela, that Angela stood up to go with Duck Phillips, is a secret agent, that he's an FBI guy under, under the radar, and that he's been trying to get information out of Angela, that she hasn't been providing. We see DDP looking at the F Society video frame by frame, which I think is a very big concern. If there is another tape out there that she'll find some way, uh, or maybe there's some way to recover data. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, this is this is the kind of person that DDP is. She does freak out when she hears about Duck Phillips. A contact, you know? We see Edward Snowden on the TV, Josh. People yes. are have turned on the FBI in terms of their own surveillance regarding Operation Bernstein. So things aren't going great for the FBI here.
1: It's bad in DDP's world. It's really not a good time to be DDP, who is such a good character. I'm so happy that DDP is such a presence on this show and was great in this episode as well. But yeah, it's not looking good for the FBI. I do think like finding out this reveal that the guy that Angela slept with in the beginning of the season has been a plant you know was working for the FBI was trying to work Angela for information that's obviously a big deal that means that Angela has been very much on Dom's radar for a while not that that's breaking news Dom makes that pretty clear when she confronts Angela when she has that conversation with Angela at the E Corp office I think the bigger deal here just in terms of Angela's arc in this episode Angela's story in the episode. Whoever Duck Phillips is, you know, whoever that guy is who she ends up, you know, flirting with, whether she, you know, whether she you know goes the extra mile with that guy or however that's gonna play out, we know nothing about that character. He's being brought up here in this scene with DDP again. I think the only thing to keep in mind there is you're not putting Duck Phillips on Mr. Robot without a reason. You're not putting Mark Moses the actor on this show unless you were planning on using Mark Moses a little bit more than that. He's not just a throwaway scene just as a reference for Mad Men fans. Although I mean I guess that would be fun. Uh but he is a prominent enough actor that that's somebody that we are absolutely seeing again and that could be a key player in whatever is moving forward. Yeah,
0: I think you're I think you're onto something there and I feel the same way that it doesn't it doesn't have to be just a random older guy that she hooked up with the ddp's instincts have been pretty good in terms of she does seem to be sniffing stuff out she she, she was way wrong on mobley that was a big a big problem to have this guy in to, in to cut him but you have to keep in mind she's the guy who against probably better judgment from her superiors brought him in to begin with so she's on a lot of this stuff in terms of information she maybe isn't the most delicate person to go about these things. She does sort of word vomit out the dark army in in, uh, White Rose's presence in the diplomatic meeting.
1: She doesn't have time for BS. She doesn't have time for
0: BS but the problem is sometimes you do have to take the time and let these things play out so that you can actually make the case and she's doing that but Angela maybe is is going about it in a different way. She maybe is the one who's taking her time here and she maybe is the one who selected this guy and and, and thought well you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll put my on the radar, I'll go up and sing a song, then I'll go to the bar and I'll wait for him to come to me. Like this right. may be a very specific target of hers. I think you're right, and I think that it, uh, Mike Bloom, who, uh, as you you know, Noda did a great job filling in for you. Uh, asked us: Do you think that Angela? This is a, is this a Breaking Bad thing? Has she really changed personalities, or is she engaging in a part of her persona she's kept dormant for so long? I, I don't know how to read Angela on that spectrum. I don't know what's going. Chris Eden had emailed in hilariously and said. Here's Angela's Friday night to-do list. Go to bar, get drunk on a quote-unquote date, ditch said undercover agent date, demean old neighbor from Jersey, sing sadder than Kevin Garvey karaoke, boink duck Phillips, complete self-empowerment chapter 563, sleep.
1: I don't feel like demeaning the nasty neighbor was on the to-do list so much as, like, he put himself on the to-do list and she just had to rip that guy apart. Yeah, she just put it— But otherwise, I agree that that seemed to— Yeah, she planned that out for her Friday night. No, I think that there's something there. I think that, you know, why is Angela at this particular karaoke party? Uh, I think that there's a lot to chew on there, and I fully expect that Duck Phillips is in here for a little while, if not— Quite the long haul. Uh, I think that whatever Angela is angling at next, everything with Angela at the very least, whether or not we fully understand what she's doing, it for the for the most part, if not entirely, feels deliberate, right? You know, like it feels like she knows what she wants to do, even if we don't quite know it yet. Got to imagine that this is pretty deliberate as well. Yeah,
0: I think so, and I think this is her with a bigger plan in play, and we just don't really know what it is yet. I think we see, as I said, timeline-wise, we know the scene from last episode where she goes into the risk management job and ends up in that meeting occurs after this episode's events. So we see some element of that plan, maybe later, where she's asking about getting the Washington Township file. We know that there's some issue with that factory. We don't really know why they had to have that contingency dropped, if that's the plant that White Rose and Philip were so concerned about. But all of that does seem to potentially be in play with Angela and that she may know a lot more than she's letting on about how best to go about taking that down. And she may just be following Terry Colby's advice from season one, where he said, if you want to take him down, take him down from the inside and her right. play is a much slower play or it could be that she's being exploited by philip price and she's being sort of maneuvered into these roles him knowing what her motivations would be and that's the longer play that white rose talked about counting on angela that we haven't seen come into play could be that already paid off with the lawsuit contingency getting dropped it could be that philip price is an even larger plan for angela in play and play we don't know what it is
1: All right. So the final scene of the episode, I mean, we've talked about a lot with Darlene being at Cisco's place and he's showering and she sees the laptop and she sees what's on it. That's the aspect of it that we haven't talked through a lot. We know that she's going to hit him with a baseball bat and all of that. We know what the content of the computer contains and that it's like, okay, I'm spying on Darlene. Good job with the FemtaCell, all of that. But the fact that Darlene can read this, when it's in chinese that feels like a fairly big deal
0: yeah she knows how to read how to read chinese it seems like right because this isn't a trick like they had last episode where they threw something into the subtitles that wasn't on the actual screen. This is the words on the screen, but being translated for us to show that the character maybe has some knowledge of what they say. I think that if she couldn't read them, I'm not sure we would have seen them. Do you know what exactly.
1: I mean? Exactly. I, totally, 100%. We're You know, we're kind of reading that through Darlene's perspective. Yep. Uh, Darlene is our Elliot of this episode. Darlene is our central figure, and we're seeing that from her. Yeah, there's no reason why the show would translate Translate that for us if Darlene wasn't understanding the translation herself. Yeah, there's
0: been other Chinese that they haven't translated that we've seen with exactly. other people talking to the Dark Army. So. I don't know. I don't know exactly. And it wasn't, it certainly wasn't all of it. It was just snippets, right? So that would have been the snippets that jumped out to her that concerned her. Uh, But that was, I think, something that she was reading. Even if she wasn't reading it, I think you could see the same reaction uh, in that she would say, why did you send a bunch of Chinese people a picture of me? Like what's going on here? But I got the impression that she could read it for sure
1: absolutely so she knows what's going on there she's you know she's going to hit cisco here she's going to knock him out you think that this could be the death of cisco i would be really surprised by that. yeah
0: i mean i i want it to be the death of cisco but i don't i don't know that it i don't know that it will be i think
1: i think he's i think he's an interesting piece on the board yeah he's a pawn yeah he's a bit of a goof every once in a while but she's he's an emotional connection for darlene he's somebody who can get us further into the dark army storyline once we get further into that through cisco then i'm pretty okay with Taking Cisco off the board. But I think right now he still has value in terms of the story. Yeah, if there's
0: anything keeping him alive, that's what it is, right? It's his narrative, it's his plot armor that he still has the dark army connection that he has to keep. I agree with what you're saying about an emotional connection to Darlene, but that's a perfect reason to kill him. So I don't know exactly where that goes, but I do think you're right. The door in to the dark army via Cisco is still Questionably open enough that it makes sense for him to be alive. I just wouldn't mind seeing him dead because I want to see a show with you hit somebody in the head with the baseball bat and you immediately end the episode fading to black that way. They may not be alive next episode. I want to see some actual pushback against the plot the plot armor, and I wouldn't mind seeing him die to reinforce that that this is a show where a character can die even when it seems like there's a really convenient thing they still have left to do. There are other ways into that dark army backdoor. Obviously, Uh, Darlene could hack him get more information out of him after he was dead so i don't know uh either way
1: i i feel i feel like though you know so darlene's just killed for the first time uh and not only that she killed somebody that she's been thinking about since she was a child since she was Four and a half and a half years old. Four and a half little me just had this huge victory against this nightmare creature from her life, and it doesn't seem like it's sitting fantastically with her. It doesn't seem like she, she says, I don't feel bad, but she says that she's surprised that she was able to do it. She didn't know she had it in her. She's processing that. She took a huge elemental force in her life out of the equation, and she's living with that. I think for her to then go on so swiftly after that, and not only kill again, you know, kill number two, but kill number two would be yet another incredibly important person from her life. Someone who had proposed to her once upon a time. Someone who she has had a very close romantic personal relationship with. For her to kill that guy so quickly after killing Susan Jacobs, I think takes too much power away from the fact that she did kill somebody and that somebody was this huge antagonistic force in her life. I think it would just be too much too soon for this to be the moment to take out Cisco and for Darlene to have been the person who did yeah, it.
0: Yeah, and, and for me, I think there's some... There's 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 some good meal to eat there i think there's a good discussion about whether it is too soon or whether the fact that it's too soon actually could could give you even more that you could say oh wow she she not only once she once she broke that door down once she gave in and killed a person she'd been thinking about killing her whole life and once she said she didn't even feel anything
1: she saw she had the taste of blood she, she thought there'd be stop. something <laughs> that
0: stopped her she didn't it didn't stop her this is the sort of thing we hear about when people become killers is once they kill for the first time it's like shoot What's been stopping me from doing that more? So this is a very emotional – I mean, look, whether or not Darlene killed Cisco or not, it's certainly – you could easily say she didn't care if she did or not. She hit the guy in the freaking head with the baseball bat. If you don't think that that action can end in that person's death, then you're not thinking – So maybe she just wasn't thinking and she was blinded in the moment and that's why she hit him in the head. But I think that you could say a person who wasn't thinking and blinded in the moment could easily have killed somebody else. So I do think that there's some element of that to it. Uh, I don't know. You're right. I think he's probably alive in that. I I do think our son is dead, but I don't, I think Cisco's probably (laughs) dead. I think Cisco still has a tale to tell here about the larger plan or about what he knows about it. And I don't think that he's necessarily long for the universe in this show. I think once he does that, you're right, you could take him out, but I think he's got a little bit of a tale to tell left still.
1: I think he still got a little bit of a tail, a vestigial. The tale. vestigial
0: tail, uh, the vestigial yeah. Cisco tail, is still left. Josh, what else from this episode? I, I think we should talk a little bit about the Kevin Garvey connection, but I don't want to spoil the leftovers for anybody.
1: Well, I don't know that there's much to say other than this is not. You know, we've talked we talked about connections between Mister Robot and the Leftovers before, certainly with season one. Where uh, is my mind the, on with, that one right now? With, with with a song choice, and so here we are again with another musical connection. Um, you know, the Leftovers using the "Where Is My Mind" cover after it had aired on Mr. Robot last year. And now we have this really great karaoke sequence on Mr. Robot after the leftover season two had a very memorable karaoke sequence. So I just feel it's fun. I, I don't know that there's too much to, to drill down into with that stuff. I think that it, it thematically fits for Angela. And I think it's cute that both of uh, both of these shows, two shows that you and I adore have these two moments. I think that's yeah, it's
0: not just the characters are singing karaoke, right? It's that characters are singing super emotional, like sad. Sad karaoke. Right. Yes. And that's the thing that, that...
1: Sad karaoke always makes you
0: cry. <laughs> yes, the, the, the karaoke is always better when the singer is crying, Josh. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that that is... A, I think it's a, a tip of the cap more than anything. I think it's a... I think the way this was presented was fantastic. I think that sequence was very compelling. And I think that it was very well done. But I think it's also a tip of the cap to a show that I know that uh, there's no way that if anybody's watching both of these shows that the people that are involved in making them aren't like, wow, they're doing they're doing some fun stuff. There. So
1: I think it's. I think there's a lot of mutual respect between the two shows. I think
0: that that's a big part of it. So, tip of the cap. Couldn't be happier that one of my favorite shows is giving a tip of the cap to the other one.
1: No, it's great. Very fun stuff. What what else about this episode? I feel like we've covered it pretty well. Yeah, thoroughly. I think
0: we have, and I think that I think that it, our coverage was, was representative of where this episode is in Mr. Robot Season 2, in that it certainly was a very compelling and awesome character episode for Darlene and others within F Society, and we, we talked about all those elements of that at length, but it's also important to situate those elements on the, the greater board of the show uh, in terms of what the show is doing, that they're piecing out information here, so we we saw them find the the shell casing. It just so happens in this episode, several episodes later that it's coming home to roost. The same thing goes with the guy that Darlene hooked up with that. That's something that was a loose end from season one. We're seeing a lot of these fraying loose ends starting to come and be pulled at by people involved in the story. So I do think it's important to continue to contextualize where this episode occurs in the context of the greater story in Mr. Robot, which as we had reset for us in the voiceover, with Darlene, not the voiceover, but her reading Elliot's notes from the voiceover from season one, is a story about the top 1% of the top 1% controlling things. Yep. And I think it's fascinating to to look at this episode in that context, as well as the context of where it is. Look at the thousand foot view and the 10 foot view, Josh. See the forest and the trees. This is a great episode for that.
1: Great episode, just gen, you know, generally. Great episode, generally. Uh, I, I know... Uh, Again, a lot of people saying that this was their favorite of season two. It's not the case for me, but it definitely was awesome and again can't speak enough about how nervous it made me um you know i've definitely felt feelings watching mr robot before and i've certainly felt very tense watching mr robot before but there was just this looming sense of dread all throughout this episode that it really it felt like it was just dipped in the in in the in the dread juice you know it was just like really dredged in there and it was so so palpable and so awful and i I hope you're wrong. I hope our son is okay. But the way that it it left you feeling like something awful either is happening, about to happen, or has happened. Uh, and in, in a way that Mr. Robot hasn't really done that since maybe the Shayla death might be the last time that I've really just felt like this awful vortex of despair in the pit of my stomach watching this show. It was really, really tough to get through this episode of points. Um, that's a mark of a great, great fantastic episode structured really really well boldly being told without elliot alderson at all especially bold that this is a week after the big reveal with elliot being in prison not dealing with the fallout of that at all you know choosing to tell a story that is completely free of elliot physically being on screen that's pretty amazing stuff and i think they did a really killer job with it yeah
0: yeah i think you're right and i think that that is Look, Mr. Robot continues to find ways to impress us and to show that it can stick landings and to show that it can execute at the most high levels. And this is another example of it, doing it in a different way, doing it without its main character, and continuing, I think, to win the show major credit in terms of its ability to do that. That speaks to the quality and the strength of the show and everyone involved, fantastic acting performances, uh, fantastic people coming out of the woodwork, uh, characters that are being built like DDP, getting more and more great moments uh, and continuing to build I just think when we take a step back, when season two of Mr. Robot is all over, we're just going to have our minds blown. And I think that throughout this, there have been people that are like, I don't know, weird show. It's weird. Colin Stone told me it was a weird show, Josh. I don't know how I feel about that.
1: It is a weird show. Yeah.
0: He said it was a weird a, episode from a weird show. And it,
1: I think it was a great episode right from me. a great show. You know? I th- but I think weird and great don't have to be on opposite sides from each other. I think Mr. Robot is a super weird show. And this is a very weird episode of a very weird show. And that's also great. I think that, you know, the, I think Mr. Robot's weirdness is a big part of why I love it so much. It's unrecognizable from so much else that's on TV. It's shot differently. It just looks different. It feels different. It is telling types of stories that aren't being told elsewhere. It has such audacity with its storytelling. It's got such commanding performances. It's so complicated; you really have to pay attention in order to pick up on every single detail. And sometimes it's just downright (laughs) weird. We talked. We talked about the sitcom scene. You know, Alf was on Mr. Robot. This is totally normal. this is a weird ass show Antonio and if you don't think so then I don't know you have a different definition of weird than I do and I think that weird is great I think as somebody who self identifies as weird I'm very happy with this weird fantastic yeah, show. Yeah and I'll just
0: close by saying that I think the weirdest thing the weird things about the show in terms of episode length pacing narrative structure the things that people have been a little concerned about that they don't expect from their TV they want their TV to deliver in a different way and this show is delivering differently I think think when it's all said and done we're not going to see this as weird i think we're going to see it as ahead of its time as a show that understood that people are probably going to take this in on a binge and so it has to be rewarding to people that are binging as well as people watching week to week that you have to structure the narrative in an odd way and that it'll be like a book and it won't have to be like a house of leaves type quote-unquote weird book where you're like oh wow that stuff i was reading on page 200 in a footnote was a major story in page 600 it doesn't have to be like infinite jest where there's a where there's a trick to it where the 200 pages at the beginning are related to the rest of the novel in a different way it doesn't have to have trickery to it i just think when we take a step back and we pull back the lens on season two we're going to realize that what mr robot has actually done is execute at a much higher level than any of us even realized
1: as we were watching it and i think this episode is part of that yeah i think so too anything else from this episode? no
0: that's it man that's it from me
1: all right. Hashtag time. I've got two contenders. One, a late-comer sad karaoke. Uh, I also have hashtag Black Swan song. I like
0: Black Swan, Swan song. I also just like Weird Show, but well, let's go with Black Swan song. Let's go. <laughs> weird.
1: Hashtag weird. Let's go with All Black right. Swan. Hit us up on Twitter. Antonio is at AC mazzaro 2 z is 1R. I'm at Round Howard. Subscribe to what we're doing here on the Mr. Robot podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes. MR Robot iTunes is the way to do that. Hit us up with your feedback. Feedback. Mr. Robot at postshowrecaps dot com is our email address, or you can go through our feedback form postshowrecaps dot com slash feedback. Anything else going on, Antonio? Uh,
0: that's all for me. What about in your world, Josh?
1: Well, you and I just talked some lost. That is the thing that happened. I wanted to let me have- talk about it. We have some limited edition Lost podcasting going on here on Post Show Recaps, the brief return of the Lost Lives podcast, a podcast we did about two years ago, celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the Lost premiere. We have brought that back to do some Lost talk here. We've been talking about possible sequels to lost talk about weird that was a weird podcast and all of the lost podcasts that we're doing right now are pretty weird antonio and i talked about that we also talked about lost booze during that show mccutcheon we toasted during the show is really good maybe stuff. you want to drink that's for sure this episode of mr robot yeah man I, drink, i'm so. a little worried about you
0: josh now that our son's off the table i'm a little worried about I'm you i'm nervous
1: i'm nervous i'm nervous anyway so that's a really fun podcast that antonio and i did and there will be a few more lost podcasts coming up over the next Next few weeks, probably wrapping up around the same time that uh, Mr. Robot season two is wrapping up as well. But that's really the big thing in my world right yeah, now. Yeah,
0: and I think it's great. I've had a, I had a lot of fun talking Lost with you as always. I think that it's funny because. I felt like the well was pretty dry, but I'm enjoying you and your wife, Emily Fox, going back and listening and and watching a random Lost episode and just weighing in with how that random episode made you feel. Shout out to Albert Vargas for deciding a different format for that, which I think is really listener-friendly. Like We know now what you guys are going to talk about next week, so we can play along with that. I think that has a lot of legs, and I have enjoyed the Lost 2 conversations. How would we reboot Lost? What's the best way to go about that? If you're interested in that show at all and you haven't listened to our, our lost lives podcast we get into a, a lot of depth about that
1: yeah a lot of depth about that and there's a whole treasure trove of lost podcasts if you want to go through that material poster recaps.com slash lost itunes is the way to find all of that stuff all right antonio we will be back next week talking about the next episode of mr Robot. there's only three more weeks of mr robot left at this point
0: because there's a double episode
1: yeah, because there's a double episode, so we're talking about three more weeks of Mr. Robot podcasting here Coming pretty close to the end of the road You and I have been doing nothing but talking about Mr. Robot for, feels like forever But in reality, it's since the end of April, beginning of May But that's a long time, it's a long stretch And, you know, the, the end of the road, at least for now, is inside I'm telling
0: you, one of these episodes, is gonna, what's going to happen is Something is going to change so seismically with this story that we're going to want to start all over again
1: Oh my god I can see we're it We're going to do a re-listen right. of our podcast no. And we're going to have to resummarize <laughs> in
0: podcast Our previous podcast
1: It's not impossible Alright Antonio we will talk next week Cheers mate Bye, Bye.